Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello everybody and welcome back for the final time this season to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm your host Connor Clancy, I'm joined as always by my two lovely friends and Ewan Burns will be joining us a little bit later as well. Vito Doria, you are the first I'm going to introduce this evening. How are you keeping now that the dust has settled on this Serie A season? Look, I'm fine. Um, Yeah, it's quite... Yeah, surprising in a way that we've actually finished now, but um, especially considering last year we finished so late. But uh, mm. no, it's a great chance to review some of the best memories that we've had uh, this season. And uh, without doing too much of a preview for next season, hopefully we can see more crowds coming back into the stadiums. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure we'll have a little bit of time to talk about someone having attended a game with fans this week. Two of us, actually, in the last eight days. Kev Pugzowski, you are also here. It's it's good to see you sober, um, although I'm not sure if that is an accurate adjective to describe how you're feeling right now. How you keeping, mate? I'm, I'm good. There's probably still plenty of alcohol in the system, but I suppose technically I am. I am sober today. You lost a run of yourself last week, didn't you? I mean, yeah. the, the target was 40 points in the week and I asked you to yeah. keep me updated and what was the number you told me before we came on air yeah well I did 40 in the four days around my birthday but the Monday through to the following Monday I did 84 84 yeah 84 which, pints in one week yeah which isn't big or clever just because I can drink no, that it's many, not. I know or know that I shouldn't yeah but yeah. um yeah but anyway, how are you how's the fingernails Given the your, your, your anxious wait for your press accreditation the, for the right, we're getting into this. Right, the the fingernails are okay, Kev. The heart rate, perhaps a little bit less so, and my phone. I feel for my phone because it was not put down on on Sunday, 
of course, anyone who sees who follows us on Twitter will know that I was trying to go to the Serie A or the the Coppa Italia Femminile uh, final on Sunday, and look, the the FIGC made it as complicated as they possibly could. But I've I've got to say thank you to to Camilla Spinelli at, at Roma. We've we've been in contact with her throughout this season, and she basically she got on the phone to the FIGC and and had some stern words. Um, shall we say, and it got sorted in the end. But at one point, I, I was given some information from the FIGC. Um, Kev, you, you already want to add something. Well, no, I was going to ask a question. I didn't didn't need you to come straight in as soon as I was All right. that, but, <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've um, just had this. <laughs> I just thought, oh, bef- so bef- before you stop telling your story, I thought I'll, I'll let him know that I would like to ask something about the final. And uh, um, right, go yeah, on. Yeah, it's, 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 it's purely just about the... Um, the atmosphere because I, I actually watched mm. the, the the men's Copper Italia today because I'd missed it. I was out. Oh, it was my, on my birthday, um, and and it was so different. And you know, just the change with the fans in, you know, the atmosphere mm. they created. So you know, obviously, you've now experienced that actually in person um, with that. And just that, that was it. That was all I was gonna kind of. Yeah. Ask. Well, look, I won't talk about the what I had to go through yesterday because I'm not sure if it's interesting to anyone it's just allowing me to vent but the the atmosphere was good and obviously I had had a little bit of a teaser to that at the beginning of this season when Serie A games were played with a thousand in but yesterday with it being the the Coppa Italia final in a neutral venue I experienced something that I hadn't experienced since before the pandemic which was fans of different teams in the same stadium and it, it seemed to be probably about 60 40 in, in favor of Milan fans in, in Reggio Emilia, but that was great. I mean, there's a moment, it was 30 seconds in, Natasha Dowie from Milan got in behind Roma, and there was just this, this noise that I, of course, remember from before, but I've forgotten that it was going to happen. Like I, when I was going to the stadium, I was like, oh, great, fans are there. But forgot really what that meant. You know, it was nice seeing all these little dots around the stadium. But then just that moment where she broke through and you heard that like intake of breath, but also the the people like leaning forward in their seats. It was a beautiful experience to, to be there for for a game like that. And particularly afterwards, you know, when Roma won on penalties, obviously, and the noise when that last penalty went in and then just seeing the players run straight over to the fans celebrating singing dancing it was very very enjoyable I'm getting like a little bit of goosebumps now thinking about it it was an, a very enjoyable experience yeah i think i think it's because i've so i've experienced it twice this season um once at portsmouth when they had 2000 fans in, in a much mm. smaller stadium than anfield and then the 10000 in anfield but being a neutral like you were at the weekend it it feels better because you're kind of not so you know because I'm probably the the, the Anfield experience. Mm. It felt very difficult to get the chance up. You know, I don't chant when I'm a neutral. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not there cheering for either side on. So it's just nice to have that that natural atmosphere. Whereas actually, when you are, you know, you'd probably find it if you went and sat on the curve watching Atalanta that with a big gap, you know, four seats either side of you, and you're trying mm. to get this chant, and you know, and it's. 
it's a very echoey and somebody sort of starts too early, too late. And it's just, yeah. yeah so as a neutral, it's so much better, but you know, that's not to say we don't want them in because I'll take 10,000 if that's, yeah. you know, if that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was, it was such a good experience. And that was helped by the fact that the game, the game was really good too. Um, I, I can't remember seeing a nil nil quite like this one before it was without there being too many clear chances. It was a really good match. Yeah, I think I think like the um, the Coppa Italia the week before as well. I think having two sets of fans mm. because they're both scenarios I've been in has been you know you've had one sets of fa- fans mm. and I think that's probably what made the Coppa Italia from a TV perspective. Yeah, you know, feel so much more natural and and, and better. Yeah, um, it was it was interesting here because neither of the the ends were occupied, so all of the fans were on either side of the pitch, which was a little bit. Interesting. So the the stand that I was facing across into had Milan fans to to the right and Roma fans to the left. So that was quite interesting to see. Obviously, um, it's a different different type of fan that that goes to games like that, and you don't need the the segregation. Um, so that was interesting, and it was actually quite refreshing to see that as well. But very much enjoyed it. Very very good game. Congratulations to Roma, and, and thank you to. To Camilla as well, if she's listening to this, she's in- incredible help. But yeah, there we go. Shall we get on with this podcast? Because we have quite a lot to talk about. I said at the top that the dust was had settled on this Serie A season. Of course, it probably should have by now. But uh, last week, every single club in Serie A decided to change their coach. It seemed eight of the top ten um, within four days of the season had decided. And if it's enough, we want a new man in. Some of them have been appointed, some of them haven't, but most of them have officially left their clubs. But we are not going to go into the coaching carousel because that's a podcast in and of itself. Um, We are just going to review the season. That's what we're here for. And we're going to start, where else, with the champions, Inter. Vito, you've been quiet so far, but I think we've got to say, okay, Inter, we're... We're poor in the Champions League this season. Sorry, Inter fans, for starting with that. But Scudetto was top priority. Antonio Conte got it done. Inter are champions. And that is all they would have wanted from this season. Given the circumstances and where they had been in regards to the project, uh, the Scudetto was essential and they managed to do it. They won the first Serie A title since they the treble tripleta in 2009-10 under Jose Mourinho and uh, after what was seemingly a slow start in the first half of the campaign in the second half they just uh, blitzed the league essentially they really bought into Conte's ideas Conte found the best uh, players for his 3-5-2 formation there were players who played the roles, the cameos as well. So it wasn't just his regular 11 that would uh, contribute. And uh, they sealed the title with about four rounds to spare. So they just really looked like a transformed side, especially with at uh, the Champions League and even uh, without the Coppa Italia in their way. Yeah, they, they won the league in the end by 12 points and Kev... Every season for the last probably five, I think the majority of people in, in the FIF season previews have have said they want to see a title race. 
for a while Milan led, but in, in the end, I mean, we didn't really get a title race this season, did we? I think I think we did. I was thinking about this. So what I purposely did, knowing that we'd have this end-of-season pod, um, the UK broadcaster brought out a mid-season review. Yeah, obviously, so that, that isn't sort of, hasn't got that sort of... Uh, story of you know how the season ultimately ends up, and when you realise how sort of quickly Milan started, the impact Inter probably had from the longer European season, the fact that you know it's the latest start in in twenty years, yet yeah, it feels like it was you know years ago now that start of that season. Even Chiesa scored a goal for Fiorentina at the start that I completely forgot about. He even appeared for <laughs> Fiorentina, you know, against against Inter. So I think we, you know, if you look at the season over a whole, I think we have had more of a race because usually it takes Juve a couple of weeks to get up and running and then they're top and then it's just the race is almost behind Juve. And if you think how close Atalanta even pushed into this year, it was, it's really, I think it was week 23 or 24, Inter beat Milan, then they turned over Fiorentina 4-0 or Hellas Verona 4-0. And then they went on that, that that ten game run where they conceded about three goals. They scored fourteen, but they picked up maximum points, and then that was it. It was, you know, the the, the title was done. So I think we we do the league a little bit of a disservice if we say that into kind of they won it at the canter at the end. But I think over the course of the eight months, we we have had a more interesting title race this year. I am still thinking about the fact that you said Federico Chiesa scored a goal for Fiorentina this season. Uh, what <laughs> did he? Um... I can't quite work that one out, to be honest. But uh, I think this is it kind of links into what we've said about this season and last, just linking into one, right? If, if you had told me that Chiesa scored a goal for Juve last season, I probably would have believed that more than he had scored for Fiorentina this. That is bizarre. So did he play a couple of games for them before he left he, this year? He scored He scored the second goal in on week two into four Fiorentina three. Ribery slipped him in. And he put the ball in it. Wow. Wow. Okay. See, oh, I knew shot. there was a reason I keep getting you on this podcast, Kev. Sometimes you do come out with some useful information like that. Um, but even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while and all of that. But Visa, we've got to talk about Inter because they were by far the best team in Italy this season. A lot of people say it shows how bad Italian football is because they were rubbish in Europe, but I do think that is to miss the point. Um, with his inter side, you look at the the spine or the core of that team, right? You got the likes of Alessandro Bastoni, Romelu Lukaku, Latar Martinez, Nicolo Barella. They're strong, and if they can keep hold of the majority of that squad and build on it, you right. I know things have changed with Conte leaving and Inzaghi likely to come in, but you you would back Inter to put up a serious defence of their title next season? I think so. Uh, without uh, talking about future predictions and all that, I think with Inzaghi, he's still probably able to utilise what will be remaining on the squad. So regardless of who ends up going, I think he's got the ability to um, be able to develop a team that will be able to obtain results and... You know, you could even say that the whole would still be greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, with Conte, he wanted to, to spend as much as possible and get all the players that he wanted to suit his idea of football. 
Um, especially after the first season, they were able to do that. Um, they brought in players like Kolarov and Vidal that flopped. But uh, if we just go back to the core that's been uh, there, um, those players were absolutely fantastic. I mean, uh, and even though Samir Handanovic, the goalkeeper, he's been stalwart for them over the last mm-hmm. decade, but uh, I didn't think he had his best season. So having that core made a real difference. You know, guys like, uh, you know, the Ryan Bastoni in defence. Uh, Bastoni, he's emerging into a top defender, but he's fantastic going forward as well. So he's a very complete player. Barella is one of the most complete midfielders in Serie A, if not all of Europe. Uh, I don't care what anyone else says. Uh, uh, I think Barella, he's going to be the real deal. And then Lukaku up front, uh, he's just been transformed under Antonio Conte. Uh, When he was at Manchester United, he was being criticised for squandering easy chances or lacking composure in front of goal. But uh, in this inter-team, he's the reference point in attack. Um, He has been... Scoring goals quite prolifically since joining the Narazzurri. This season, he finished with 24 goals, uh, second in the Capo Canoniere race. But his overall play has been fundamental for them. The way he holds the ball up, gets teammates involved, and uh, he made things very hard for opposition defenders to shut him down. So uh, with those guys there, uh, Conte had uh, the foundations of a strong side. And, uh, you know... Assuming that Inzaghi is indeed the one to take over in 2021-22, I think those players, especially Lukaku, uh, they're going to make a big difference, especially in Serie A. It is the elephant in the room here, Vito. We've got to talk about Antonio Conte because he's gone. He nearly went last summer, he didn't. He has left Inter this season. And you could argue that a lot of these players were as good as they were because of him. So do you expect the a little bit of a drop-off from the likes of Hakimi, if he's there, Lukaku, if he's there, Barella, if he's there next season? For the three that you've mentioned, I don't think there would be much of a drop because um, with Inzaghi, he'll pretty much maintain the same system. He won't change uh, too much in terms of uh, tactics. I think more than anything, it would I would see more of a drop in someone like Ivan Perisic. I think to play as a left wing back, I think that's more down to contest philosophy and his way of coaching. I think someone like Inzaghi would probably want him in a far more offensive role than for him to be having some sort of defensive contribution or to drop uh, back as much as uh, a left wing back would be expected to in a certain system. Uh, There'd probably be other players where you'd think they would drop off, such as Roberto Gagliardini, who isn't a guaranteed starter at Inter. He plays here and there off the bench, or need be. I think he's someone that would drop off uh, significantly. I think he's someone that would fit uh, contest tactics ideally, but for someone like Inzaghi, I think he'd be lost, to be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. And uh, another player that, well, won't drop off, but I think might actually do good, after Conte leaving would be someone like Christian Eriksen. Uh, mm. I think uh, someone like him, I'm not saying that he's an inferior player to Luis Alberto. I think opposite Christian Eriksen, I think with Inzaghi there, he'd have a similar role. But 
perform it a lot better. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. One of the players who's who's got to be a contender for, for signing of the season. I mean, he literally was in the FIF Awards, which we will come to as well throughout this podcast, is Ashraf Hakimi. Kev, I, I think there's a serious case to be made that if Inter didn't sign him from Real Madrid by Dortmund last season, they wouldn't have won the Scudetto. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, so I might be um, controversial and just oh. go against you guys. I don't. I suppose I'm um, because of the because of the, the Conte situation, the issue around the finances with Inter. It's not that I want to belittle. The, the contribution by Hakimi because I think he has, you know, he has sort of taken them on a level and provided more than probably any other, uh, you know, more advanced fullback. But I was just trying to think about how Inter try and, you know, get themselves out of this hole and not really completely collapse. And actually out of the, the players that I think about, Lukaku, Martinez, Barella, you know, two or three of the, you know, the defence, when you think about the most saleable assets they've got, I actually think the one that they would not miss as much as the others could be Hakimi, who would really? raise the most funds. I just think because, you know, it's that spine, you know, try not to, to break up that spine. Would you want to lose Lukaku, Barella? And I just, I just wonder if they're, if they say they've got to, got to get a minimum of 40 million, which is a, you know, often a fee banded around for Hakimi. Which obviously they paid roughly, uh, you know, um, last season. I, I think they could find a replacement, mm. but 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 yeah, certainly he's been he's been phenomenal for them. Um, I just wonder if that's where they might look because they wouldn't want to lose the others. You know, they've obviously lost Conte's wages now, which has always been reported as is huge in Syria terms. So they might not they might not be that desperate to offload this year. No, but they there there are still talks that they need to recoup between 80 and 100 million in terms of transfers and then lighten the wage budget as well. Of course, it it is hard to know which of the reports is it, are truthful and if they'll find a creative way around these things, which you would anticipate they might. Um, Hakimi does seem like the most likely to be sold in order to make money given his age, given the season he's had, given the two clubs he's been at before, Inter, um, yeah, Paris Saint-Germain looked like a, a possible destination at the moment. Bayern Munich, another. You'd say that Paris are more likely probably to stump up that kind of money. But on the other side of things, you had Hakimi coming in for big money. And then you've got these other players who Conte just seems to be some sort of wizard when it comes to whispering to these bang average squad players where you've got the likes of... Uh, Right, Brozovic probably doesn't belong in this category. He's a little bit better than that. But Ashley Young, Matteo Darmian, who was, who wasn't even a good Parma player, the in the 2019-2020 season. But Vito somehow, Conte comes in and he's like the rubbish player whisperer, and he just takes these players to a whole nother level. Well, that's the beauty of uh, Conte's coaching. He knows how to turn these mediocre players or rubbish players into something better than what they really are. He's not really great at you know, dealing with uh, so-called luxury players or great technicians, flair players. 
But when it comes to giving a role or a task for these players that aren't the most naturally gifted, you'll find a purpose for them. They'll perform uh, the role that they've been assigned to and uh, they're able to be better than uh, what would be first anticipated of them. Uh, I even saw when he first came to the club in pre-season friendlies, there were players that were rubbish even in Serie B and all that, but they looked a bit better uh, when they were playing pre-season friendlies under Conte. One of those players is a guy called Samuele Longo, who's who had been on the books for Inter for nearly a decade. Probably only looks good in the Spanish second division, but even under Zeman, he couldn't score goals. But uh, he did uh, a decent job performing in pre-season friendlies. So uh, that's the Conte effect, Hoya. And uh, Euro 2016 was probably the best example of that when you got guys like Giacarini and... Uh, Maybe not so much Dorado, but there are others that aren't springing to mind that were uh, making good contributions for the team. So uh, this is what Conte does. Even if you get irate by seeing him not utilising a player in the Christian Eriksen type or when he was coaching Italy, not utilising Lorenzo Insigne playing, but getting the best out of players like Darmian or Young or making Gagliardini uh, an ideal system player, uh, that's part of his way of coaching. And um, when you're part of that team, it's great to see it work. I this did is, not expect Samuel Longo to get a mention on this podcast. Sorry, Kev. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, this is one element of the, you know, what we've been discussing about, would you let Hakimi go? If Conte's still there, it's probably a more appealing proposition because you kind of, you, Conte's the sort mm. of person, you'll lose Hakimi and he'll bring in a Victor Moses that will do a job for 12 months in the system. And actually, I think it then moves on to kind of comparisons with the Juve um, issues they've had this year, whereas there were lots of games where it felt as though the the players that were maybe a level or two down from the stars, in inverted commas, although Cristiano Ronaldo clearly believes he's a, or knows he's a star. Best they striker look... in the league, I'll have you know. Uh, yeah, let's not. Officially? Best striker in the league, Kev? Best striker in the league? Yeah, not a chance. Lukaku all day long. Um, <laughs> no, Lukaku was the best player. He, he wasn't the best striker. That's... Yeah, well, that's that's where some of those awards <laughs> ceremonies like They don't like to give people two, do they? But I didn't mean yeah, to derail uh, you, I'm sorry. No, uh, yeah, I was... I say they broke down a lot of the time when they were just looking to give it to their better players and wait for them to do some magic. And that's where you just wonder, will Inzaghi come into Inter and be able to continue that sort of team ethos, you know, maybe getting an extra few percent out of those players or the team as a whole? Or will they fall into that trap of knocking the ball long and hoping that Lukaku is going to do something with it or you know, expecting to get the ball from Bob from Varela and then, you know, he'll create something from there because Conte's, um, all of his sides always look like a much more structured and cohesive unit. Mm. Absolutely right. We spent enough time talking about Inter now. I mean, congratulations, all Inter fans. You've finally won the Scudetto again. But you guys don't have an easy life, do you? Because... I mean, Pazza Inter are back. Conte had it gone for about six months, but Pazza Inter are back. They've no coach. Probably going to get Inzaghi in and probably going to sell half of their squad and go to pot over the summer. Second place, Milan. They were top for a while. And I know that hindsight is twenty twenty. but Kev, 
Were Milan ever really in the title race? I think they I think they were. I don't think they ever believed it themselves though, once they kind of hit hit the rails. Um so again watching the um the mid season review as I did uh this morning, I kind of felt that there was a lot of talk over Ibrahimovic's um value to the side or impact. Uh, and while he undoubtedly did have one, I'm not sure looking back now it was as big as you know, we probably spoke about it towards the start of the season. You know, on the pitch it seems as though he sort of and maybe this is age, you know, he's still a, a fantastic physical specimen, but he picked up niggling injuries, went off to do a music <laughs> um, yeah. concert. Mm. Um, but you know, that's not to say that, that they got exactly what they needed off the pitch from him because they were a very, very young squad. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think the the uh, the earliness that they kind of fell out of the seat out out of the title race and then were just kind of clinging on to Champions League qualification um, for dear life. They were never really, never really contenders this season. And maybe we might see something else from them next year. I personally would say that the inside the dressing room, I'd say they fully believed that they were in the title race, and I do think a lot of their fans would also say, "Yeah, we we got sucked in by it." But at the same time, I'd say a lot of their fans would probably look back and say, "We've done exactly what we needed to do, and a little bit more this season." They finished second. Was was the dressing room though just Tio Hernandez's ego? You know, <laughs> why are you picking on Theo? Well, yeah, sorry, I should end the season. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the end of season pod. It's the last, it's the last chance I've got to have a pop at him. Um, you have your chance later. You have your chance later when we go through our team of the seasons because I've got a few bones to pick with basically everyone that writes for this website, to be honest, um, except for some sensible ones. But uh, Milan, great season again. Similarly to Inter, but almost to a greater extent, they've got this core group. So you spoke about Ibra, who's obviously very, very important to them. Per Hernandez is another. Simon Kayer, Ficaro Tomori for the back half of the season. Frank Kessie, Gianluigi Donnarumma was, won't be next season. That is a very impressive core group of players. And I know Kayer right He's a little bit older and he, he it had that spell with Atalanta and he didn't do anything. Tomori is very much unproven, but ha- has shown himself to have serious potential. And Vito, Milan, keeping hold of those players, Donnarumma excluded, will be ready to go next season and ready to be serious title contenders. They should be in the conversation. Having that core is going to be fundamental. And uh, by bringing in a new goalkeeper, I think it will dispel more of that sort of transfer talk whenever Donnarumma's contract comes up. I noticed Mm. whenever those rumours were popping up in the press, Donnarumma's form would dip. So I think with uh, Mike uh, Manyan, if I said his name correctly, the goalkeeper from Lille comes in, uh, I think... um, that will be a big bonus for them. And then having that call there to have that continuity 
and um, you know, be able to elevate the quality of the team, I think that will be a, a big difference because there were some players, especially Cassie, had really the season of his career, has been an important part to that Rossoneri team. And uh, when you have uh, a few more other players contributing, not just that core, I think it will make things uh, a lot better for them heading to next season. Do you know what I found really funny about that Moik Mannion signing? Is that they put something up on their official Twitter account, AC Milan, and it was like him staring at a glass cabinet, but with next season's kit in. I thought, you've got all those trophies. Why don't you, why don't you show him like, all the league titles, the European Cups? You know, they've, they've also just qualified for the Champions League, yet they, they've got him. This. There's this like, big glass cabinet, and it looks like he doesn't know like what he's supposed like, to be He doesn't know at. who he signed for. He signed a contract, <laughs> and they've pulled away like, a curtain but, in front of this glass cabinet. But he's also a goalkeeper, so he's not going to be wearing that shirt. True, very and, true. Yeah. I don't know. I just I found it quite amusing. But then, I, you know, I find the most stupid stuff amusing, and then other stuff not. But here's a question for you: What shirts do goalkeepers pose with when they sign for a new club? Oh, I think the better clubs do pose them with their goalkeeper shirt. They do, don't they? Yes, that's rubbish. Because no one knows what goal goalkeeper shirts change all the time, don't they? Wow. So like Milan could have a, a yellow one. This th- their home shirt is yellow, and it, they can change their home shirt color. I think that's a rubbish idea. But I don't know. I I, I always used to like the uh, the early season sort of five signings, and you know one was a goalkeeper, so you were in a goalkeeper shirt, and another couple in the home and away strips. You know, mm. I think um. Not in many ways, but in in this way, more clubs should be like um, Parma because that's an unnecessary thing. I'm sorry, um, but the the Parma goalkeeper, of course, more often than not, wears one of the outfielder's shirts. So like then that. he could pose with all of the the outfielder shirts, and they could just change it accordingly depending on what they wanted to do, which I think would be nice. Um, more goalkeepers should just wear away shirts. By the way, that would that would solve so much. I don't know why they need extra shirts. Um, because let's be honest, no one buys goalkeeper shirts, do they? Surely not. Not until they're on sale. No, and it would. It, it's got to be more profitable to have goalkeepers wearing the outfield players' shirts because then young kids who like being goalkeepers will buy that without looking weird, you know. But anyway. We're not here to talk about that, are we? Kev, Fikayo Tomori added so, so much to this team when he came in in January. I've got to say, when he arrived, I didn't know too much about him. I knew that Frank Lampard once liked him and then didn't like him all of a sudden. And that's about it. I had seen him score a belting goal or two, but I really didn't expect him to be this good. He's not been as good as some people will claim. He's not Paolo Maldini, but he added a lot to this side. Yeah, there's. Um, I felt there was a lot around the the England European Championship squads. Oh, he's you know, not in I, it, is he? No, he he probably should have been in contention because he you know he did perform really really well, and then you know you throw into that that he's gone and challenged himself in a new, well maybe not necessarily a new culture because he's probably not getting out very much at the moment. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, it, it seemed to be the, there's one of these things. Look, it's the whole oh, you know, Southgate hasn't been over, or you know, hasn't got a subscription to one of the many channels that show. And I, I kind of understand that argument, but also, if I'm honest, I only watch my side in the you know in in the Premier League. So actually, I don't know, how, and I've not seen any others because I've not been going to any games. So I'm not actually sure how he sort of compares to most of the English centre halves. But I, I think because it was such a large squad. I think Southgate went with like 35 or something and then trimmed it down. He should have been in that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just purely for, for how well he's sort of coped at such a young age. You know, Kaya was obviously very important, I think, in helping him adapt. I think he certainly gets more from that from Kaya than he did Romagnoli, who missed out on the Italian squad, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I hope I hope that, it, that, that Milan keep him. I think he, I hope he sees the benefit of staying where he is. And, you know, Chelsea just don't go and flog him off to the highest bidder and then his development goes and stalls somewhere else because of over-the-top expectations for what he's done at Milan this year. It hasn't all been good for Milan, like with every club, you would say. And Vita, they they had a stinking signing in Mario Mandzukic, which I don't think you can blame them for. It's a signing that I was quite excited about for Milanisti when it happened because I expected him to do well. Also, a different situation, but Sandro Tenali's got to be disappointed with how his first year with the club went. It was disappointing, but I think at the same time, the jump from Brescia to Milan proved to be quite big for him. Um, he's still 21 this year, so... He's, he's definitely got time on his side, but uh, I think uh, it might have been too much to expect that he would have just walked in and just um, blitzed it in his first year. Uh, he was a revelation in Serie B when he got pressure on top of the table and they got promoted to Serie A. Then in uh, Serie A, he was one of the bright spots, but uh, it was clear that he was one of the best in what was, let's face it, a rather dreadful bunch. Then to come into a team where there's more competition for spots and the way Pioli sets up in that 4-2-3-1, um, he only really got to play regularly whenever Benacer was injured. Otherwise, Kessie and Benacer, they were the ideal duo. Uh, Benacer, you know, he, he proved himself at Empoli that he could play in Serie A. Then he's managed to be uh, an important member of this Rossoneri squad. Cassie, we've spoken about him before and how important his energy, his stamina and strength is to the team. So, um, yeah, he was not able to adapt to Nali, but uh, I don't think it means that he's going to just uh, block continuously. I think it's more a chance mm. of him trying to settle in at the club. Do you think there's an argument to be made that he could do with a loan somewhere next season? Maybe a Sassuolo or something like that and then go back to Milan with a little bit of more Serie A experience under his belt? As long as they avoid the Locatelli scenario, then it's not a bad idea. And depending on who the Nero Verdi picked to replace mm. Roberto De Zerbi, I think that will be crucial. Uh, Sassuolo, since they've been in Serie A, have usually done best with coaches that do have a certain way of playing, a certain attacking philosophy. So if Tonali 
that's that type of coach at a club like Sassuolo has that kind of guidance, I think that can only improve his uh, development tenfold. Yeah, absolutely right. In third place, the final team we're going to talk about before the first round of the FIF Awards. We are just getting started on this podcast and it's a little bit concerning because we're over half an hour in already. Atalanta finished third for the third consecutive year. But Kev, it's not really news anymore, is it? Because they finished fourth in Gasp's first year, but there were only three Champions League places available then. But, I mean, they're just a top four team now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you do wonder when, you know, you, you, you watch teams go through three-year periods. We've discussed about how Gasparini manages to sort of manage that transition and, and how well they've done. Obviously, we, they've lost um, someone in Papu Gomez this year and there'll probably be a few others that, that will leave. And it's not... Why, it's have not you had to, why have you had to do that? Well, you know, get your tears out of the way now, lad. But... <laughs> It's it's whether they can just keep up that level, you know. I don't expect them to like crash and burn. It's just whether you know because it is very hard, you know, particularly in the sort of pandemic era that we're in. Um, you know, a few might have a, a better or longer summer than what they had um, last season, because you would have kind of expected the way that that Atalanta play that the shortened break would affect them. But then, you know, you just watch the speed at which they were pressing. Uh, Juve in the cup final. Obviously, maybe the cup final does give you a little bit more adrenaline, but they just keep on rolling on and rolling on. And I think it's it does them a little bit of a disservice that people always go back to that whole wage bill because it's kind of a scene as they they shouldn't be doing this. It's like, well, no, it's not. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be doing this. But if you're a well-run club, it's not that they shouldn't be doing it, but all the others shouldn't be. You know, we just talked about Tonali. Right. You know, don't, yeah. you know, don't, you know, you've got a 21 year old there. Why is there so much, you know, they craving getting him into the side? It's like a well run football club would get that on a better deal. 21 mm. year old knock around, you know, in and off out of the bench. And you look at um, Malinowski this year, you know, he was given that time almost. You know, it was the people that really, really watch Atalanta, you know, yourself being a sort of a, a fan was disappointed with his early season performances. And then obviously mm. he's, he's, He's been one of the players that's kind of turned his season around. But it's not that they shouldn't be achieving this. It's that more clubs should be operating on a sort of similar yeah. a similar way to, to get more out of their resources. I, I think the direct comparison with um, Vito, I'll let you in just one second with the Sandro Tonali thing is the Matteo Pessina. Because Pessina had been at Atalanta for a couple of years and didn't really get a look in. Went out on loan to Verona, did well, came back. He's 24 now. And he's kind of like an exciting up-and-coming player, you know, Vito? Yeah, just to further point out on Kev's point, uh, it's not just Atalanta that's doing it, or not so much that uh, it's not just Atalanta that should be doing what they're doing. I think it's uh, most of the other clubs in uh, Serie A and Italy in general that should be run a lot better than they should be. I mean, to have a so-called, uh, you know, to have the 12th, highest wage bill in Serie A and still fly as high as they are. It, it goes to show how great they are on and off the pitch, how well they're organised. Yeah. When I look at, yeah. you know, these uh, comments, let's say on social media, about the whole Super League fiasco, and I get some dumb comments like, you know, the smaller clubs should be run better. It's 
and all that kind of stuff, you know. You don't want the rich to break away or they're not getting a challenge. Well, it's up to the small clubs to do that. Well, in this case, this is where the small clubs need to hold the big boys to account. You know, more clubs need to follow Atalanta's example, smart recruiting, uh, getting your youth development right and having a system or a philosophy uh, in your squad where the players are going to become uh, much greater than what they are. They're going to improve significantly. So um, this is, for me, this is the way the other clubs should be running and this is the way they should be able to be challenging the big boys because uh, just having lots of money alone isn't going to guarantee success or going to guarantee a challenge. Sometimes you just got to learn to work with the resources at your disposal and take it from there. And if you can do that, you will be able to get better results because money is not the only thing. It helps, but if you're throwing money away, um, you can't just uh, blame a lack of money for your poor investments. It'll be interesting um, post-pandemic and also this just general uh, issue around Europe where TV revenue seem to be you know, dropping. Mm. Whether... You know, a few other sides actually it sort of forces them to 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 operate better. The the fear probably for the likes of Atalanta is that some of the big hitters, as well as to their superior finances, that they actually do start running themselves better, which would arguably be a bigger threat than maybe you know some of the sides. You know, the Sassuolo's, the Fiorentina's of the world start managing their resources and doing you know smarter recruitment, like Vito says. If one of the big clubs then decide to be responsible, though, will there not be a bit of a, a transitional period where they're not play, paying wages so the players don't go to them and they have to find a way to, to balance? Because it's not an immediate thing. And I do think that Atalanta very much helped by the fact that their owner is arguably Italy's best businessman. You know, Antonio Bacassi, he's no, he's no idiot. There's a reason that the club work as well as they do. But I also think to to talk about Atalanta, but then to immediately say other clubs should be doing it is to do them a disservice in a way because the fact is that they do pay the twelfth biggest wage budget in Serie A, and the fact that they finished third for three years in a row that is part of the achievement for Atalanta. Yeah, I just think some of the some of the other things that Atalanta do, you know, and the other positives around them, whether it's the style of play, whatever, just gets lost because it's always that. That's the thing. It's like they're doing this on a twelve budget. It's like, well, yeah, but you know, talk more about what they're doing on that twelve budget, uh, biggest budget in Syria, as mm-hmm. opposed to just you know, just use that as a a quick sound bite, which you sort of hear all the time that you know, non non Italian focused podcasts and things are discussing them in a Champions League context or BT Sport when they're playing a Premier League side. It's all 12th biggest budget and that's it. You know, don't talk about the innovative sort of formation they play, you know, the attacking wing backs, all that. It's just 12th biggest budget. Look, aren't aren't patting them on the head? Aren't they doing really well? Um, Yeah, and I just think it's a bit condescending. Maybe condescending isn't the right word. but A little bit patronising possibly. Yeah. Um, Well, let's talk about what they're doing then. Shall we? Because they've got the usual suspects there in Robin Gosen. That line of four, Gosen's their own Freuler Atterborn. We, we saw the how much they missed Remo Freuler and Gosen's when they were missing, particularly 
Gossens against Liverpool, Freud against Napoli earlier in the season. Hatterbord was an, a big absence. Even when he came back, he wasn't able to quite get up to the levels he had been at. Perkassi has said that Duvan Malinowski and Muriel are non-transferable this summer. And they brought in Christian Romero on loan. And he's been named the best defender in Serie A this season. Um, Perkassi also said that he's going to target a defender over the summer, which would suggest that maybe Rafael Toloi's place isn't so secure for next season. If a goalkeeper comes in as well, Kev, am I mad to say that Atalanta could win the title next season? No. Um, you think about you know what's going on at Inter. You, and actually, you just think about the amount of coaching changes. I sometimes think that that, you know, well, we've seen with Pirlo this year going to Juve. I sometimes think the coaching change is more important than, you know, maybe Hakimi being sold off, maybe Martinez being sold off by Inter. And actually just getting to know the players, the man management issues, maybe if you've got a different, and let's face it, I think Antonio Conti's got a very different man management style than a lot of a lot of people. Yeah. And I think if you've got that throughout the, the um, what was it we said earlier, eight of the top 10 sides this year, it could be the perfect uh, environment for Atalanta to, to, to take a run at it. Is this, Vito, the, the season for Luis Muriel, 2020-2021? Yeah, oh, definitely his best season, hands down. Uh, even without being a starter, um, he just uh, he was just scoring goals for funny. And with limited game time, I think that's actually benefited his game. He doesn't have to run for 90 minutes. He just has to run for... Whatever is needed, he gets into the right scoring positions. Again, he uses his uh, speed to best effect, and uh, he can uh, link up well with teammates. He scored some lovely goals, and uh, considering that Serie A is ideal for strikers over thirty, I don't think he's going to be declining anytime soon. So, twenty-one goals—it's the first time he's ever scored over twenty in a season, and uh, as long as Gasparini is there and. The rest of the main elements are there at Ladea. I expect him to maintain that form. It was a real shame though, because Zapata was superb this year and yeah. I couldn't I couldn't shoehorn both <laughs> of them in to my team of the week and I really didn't want to like drop him, but I had to go with Muriel. Yeah, I know. I, I love the two of them so much. Um and I do feel a little bit guilty when I praise one because I think ah. Oh, what if the other hears this and he feels sad? You see, yeah, Duan Zapata, what a footballer he is. My God. But we're not going to talk too much about him, unfortunately. Duvan, I'm so, so sorry. We've got to move on. We've got to start with the, the FIF awards. And the first three categories that we're going to talk about are the goal of the season, the coach of the season, and if this could be considered an award, the worst signing of the season. So as always, the FIF awards are decided by you, our listeners, our readers, the people who um, digest our content, I suppose you could say. And you've made some decisions that, look, I'm just going to say, usually you guys make better decisions. Um, than you have made this season. And I'm disappointed with most of you, but we'll, we, you will soon see why. So firstly, we've got the goal of the season. And 
I'm trying to find the nominees, but while I do this, Kev, can you remember who did you vote for for the goal of the season this year? I put a few down, and actually, then when I looked at the spreadsheet earlier, I realised I hadn't put down the one that I thought was goal of the season, which is Unes against Torino, although very closely followed by Barrow um, for Cagliari against Spezia. Um, largely because I saw a, I saw an angle right behind him, and it said he hits it first time, you know, from such mm. a distance, just inside um, the Spezia half, and it's the arc the ball takes, but. Unas is Unas is like close control. You thought he was dribbling it into the corner to win the points and just sort of go, you know, just drifts past, glides past sort of two or three players. Um, Bologna, yeah. sorry, for Bologna against uh, against Benicio Vitas, correct me, but yeah, so I'll go Unas, even though it didn't it, it didn't keep them up or you know help keep them up. As far as I know, he didn't make it into the final five, but I'm having some serious problems loading up with the, the nominees at the moment, to be honest. Vito, do you remember who you voted for for the goal of the season? Uh, yeah, I remember who I voted for out of the candidates that were there, but uh, yeah, I would have thought that goal would have been third in my book. <laughs> mm. So Well, I'll tell you, I can't find the candidates, but I'll tell you who won, shall we? So in third place, with with twenty percent of the votes was Nicola Barella's goal against Fiorentina, second place, and as far as percentages came, the second and first place were actually equal, and it came down to to the vote count um, to see who won. Second place was Lorenzo Insigne against Roma for Napoli, of course, and the winner Spezia's Daniele Verde against Lazio. So congratulations to Daniele Verde for that. Next up, coach of the season. Um, I think it's quite clear. My vote went to Giampiero Gasparini. Kev, do you remember who you voted for for this one? I think Deserbi. Deserbi, okay, nice. Yeah, I think nice. Very deserving. Vito? Yeah, I voted for Conte this time as much as I wanted to vote for Gasparini. You voted for Conte. Well, yeah. Let's see how that fares with the public votes. In third place, Stefano Pioli on 20%. Second place with 22%, Giampiero Gasparini of Atalanta, who I believe has won it more than once in the last few years. First place with 47% of the vote. Of course, it's the champion, Antonio Conte, who no longer has a job, Kev. Do you know what? Uh, just going back to my nomination to Zerbi, what swung it for me was before the Milan game, after the Super League announcement, and he said, I yes. don't want to take my team to Milan. And that's kind of, it was that or Gasparini, and that's what swung it for me for De Zerbi. Mm. I was 50-50 between De Zerbi and Gasp as well. The The logic of me voting for Gasparini was I thought, De Zerbi's not going to win it gasp might and my vote might make a difference in deciding it so gasp got the vote in the end but yeah deserbi i'm gonna miss him in, in Serie you know particularly with him being just down the road from me here but yeah um i think everybody liked him a little bit more after he said that and the final of the first three categories although there are nine in total is the worst signing of the season and 
I always feel a little bit guilty doing this, but we've got to do it. And oddly enough, we cannot separate some of the votes. So there are two people tied for second, and there are two people tied for first. Um, <laughs> so both with 14% each. Second worst signing of the season, it's Vera Morici and Alexander Kolarov. Fair enough. Morici got my vote, to be honest. Vito, Kev, do you remember who you guys voted for for this one? Well, I know who Kev voted for. It's definitely Artur, isn't it? Yeah, I struggled a little bit, actually. I think because it was such a short summer, I struggled to remember which year people signed for mm. <laughs> signed for their clubs. And I think there was, there was very minimal transfer activity last summer. But yeah, Artur, because of the way he came in, what they lost in Pjanic, the creative accounting to do it, never really showed up that awful pass for Benevento's winner so yeah there was too many things that sort of burnt hit me into my my memory as the worst sign in the season mm. Vito who was your vote for this yeah same as Kev's Artur just um, terrible signing and you know the creative accounting can't hide that I mean just really not worth the market value mm. okay well Arthur with 32% of the votes, along with Mario Mandzukic with 32% of the votes. They are our worst signings of this Serie A season. Back to the football then. Fourth place, the final Champions League place, went to Juventus. It's strange talking about them this late in the season review pod, but Vito... I don't know how to look at this season because Juve were poor, but they got the top four and they won the Coppa Italia and they won the Super Coppa Italiana. So it wasn't the end of the world, really, was it? No, but uh, Juventus are a team that really value the Scudetto greatly. Uh, for them, that's the bread and butter and it's the be all and end all, to be honest. Uh, everything else doesn't really matter too much to them. But uh, you'd think that. You know, going in line with the club philosophy that winning's the only thing that counts, at least they did win stuff. So that shouldn't have been too bad. That being said, I think by not winning that 10th Scudetto in a row, I'd like to think that this is their chance to accept that they need to shuffle the team a bit. They've got to regenerate the squad. And uh, now that uh, Fabio Paratici now left the club in... Uh, He's left uh, Juventus after a decade there. Um, hopefully, they can bring in, uh, you know, some more interesting players or players that are actually going to do something for Juve moving forward. Gav, you want to have a pop at Andrea Pirlo already? Well, well it just, it just that he he obviously left um, and came out and said, you know, I I met all all of the objectives that that were given to him. And it was less a pop, more to sort of open up a discussion of whether we we feel that is correct. Because I can I can understand if like him coming into his first coaching job, that they said to him it's going to be a difficult first season with you know on the back of the pandemic, fatigued players. If we reach Champions League, okay, we want the title. But if we reach Champions League, actually, that's what we'd expect from a from, from a debutant coach. You know, and he's got a Copper Italia as well. So if if that was true, have they just bowed to media pressure to get rid of him? I don't think Juve would have said, well, we'll be happy if you finish fourth. 
Um, but I think I might be alone in feeling dreadfully sorry for Andrea Pirlo because what was he supposed to do? You know, like Inter have a better squad than Juve. Atalanta probably have a better squad than Juve do. Um, Milan's squad is probably as good as Juve's, if not better. Napoli's probably as good as Juve's, if not a little bit better. Um, we saw the decline when Sarri was there. And I think Sarri did wonderfully well to to win the Scudetto with with that Juve team who, who clearly weren't bothered doing anything he wanted them to do. And for Pirlo to come in, in his first ever season as a coach, remember, to finish fourth, win two trophies, I think he has done a very good job. Okay, he, he made some mistakes. There were some weird decisions that he made, particularly when he decided to change Chiesa's position for the second game against Milan. That really does stand out. But I think people were needlessly harsh. I mean, it's it's football, isn't it? So I'm not surprised in that way. But I don't know. I feel, Vito, I might be alone in, in having a great deal of sympathy for, for Pirlo. I wouldn't say I feel sorry for Pirlo, but at the same time, I I think that uh, it was a case that, uh, you know, the job was perhaps too big for him at this stage of his coaching career. Um, it would have been much better if he just stayed with the under-23s, but uh, they decided to sack Sarri. Um, being a club legend, uh, Pirlo was thrown into the deep end and, you know, I think when you consider that he still got them into the Champions League and still won those trophies, um, I think he would feel inside that he might have been done by. Uh, That being said, um, I think it's probably a blessing in disguise in terms of his career, I reckon. Perhaps a move elsewhere will help him, you know, take the pressure off, help him develop his ideas more as a coach and see what he wants to do from... Yeah, I think it's important for Pirlo that he should be at a place where he can uh, develop his own ideas with a bit more patience, a bit more time, and also also learn to work with players that perhaps aren't as naturally gifted as some of the players he had at Juventus and try and uh, develop them there because he did bring in some players from the under-23 squad, especially Gianluca Frabotta at left-back. And there were a few others that he tried in the Coppa Italia games, like Fajoli and a few others. Mm. There's also a Romanian youngster whose name has slipped my mind, but he was given a few goes even in the Champions League. So uh, one of the teams he's linked with is Sassuolo. So if he's the one that does uh, replace the Zerbi at the Nero Verdi, um, he might be able to develop a few more kids there. Yeah. And uh, I think he might be able to find a niche uh with the Nero Verdi. Quite possibly. It would be quite an interesting appointment. Um, and you'd look around and you don't really see too many obvious candidates for that Sassuolo job. So quite possibly that's where he'll end up. Kev, we we might well have seen Cristiano Ronaldo play his last game for Juventus. He ended the season as Capo Canonieri, 29 goals and apparently the best striker in Serie A. But at the same time, I don't think... Too many Juve fans would be disappointed if he did leave this summer. No, I, I think the experiment has is somewhat failed. Um, 
obviously he's won a couple of trophies at the start, won the Coppa Italia again this year, but yeah, it's they probably shouldn't have done it even with it with anybody. You know that that outlay for mm. what they want is the Champions League, really. You know, you're you're it's a pretty big gamble that he'll come up with the one or two goals that will see you through a couple of knockout rounds and maybe score the winner in the final. It does, you know, it does need a more collective approach to the quality on the pitch than just one man. And I think, you know, probably Juventus fans are feeling like some of us that, that don't follow them, that he gets a bit pandered to now to try and keep him there because of the the probably benefits they get to selling TV rights with him still in a Juventus shirt. Mm. But things like that announcement that he was the best player in the league, as much as they probably didn't want to give two awards to the same player, it should have gone to Lukaku and you just feel to yourself, well, you know, they, they could have given that to Muriel. You know, there are other... there are, you know, Obviously, again, Vlajevic got young player of the year and... <laughs> Yeah, he's you know he he plays an attack. So yeah, I think I think everybody's just a bit tired of it now, tired of the Ronaldo circus, which I think has arguably probably happened at a couple of the clubs that he's that he's had. Yeah, you you could probably make that point very well. Um, Real Madrid and Juventus, definitely. I can't remember Manchester United thing. To be honest, it's that long ago. And well, it- I don't think they wanted. Yeah, I don't think they wanted him to leave, but you, it was all about him, and you had it was taken away from the collective team. I think which mm. Manchester United do kind of thrive on, and Rooney was their similar sort of age, and what they thought at the time was a similar, you know, sort of talent, which hasn't kind of borne out. But on a positive note, but, we've got to talk about Federico Chiesa, and I think this is somewhere where Pirlo deserves credit because one of the problems with Chiesa at Fiorentina was that he was being mismanaged. He went to Juventus and he has gone so far above what I expected him to do. And I, I do think Pirlo deserves a lot of credit for that. Vito, Chiesa is turning into the player that a lot of people thought he was going to turn into. Oh, certainly. Uh, the move to the Bianconeri has really improved this game. Uh, he, he was He's scoring more goals than what he did at Fiorentina. And... Uh, Regardless if he was playing left wing or as a support striker, uh, he showed that uh, when he's getting into the box uh, in in uh, enough situations, he will score goals. I think uh, for Juve going forward, he'll be uh, fantastic. I think he's someone who can provide his share of goals and assists. And I reckon uh, for the Italian national team, he'll be of a great benefit too. He'll be an asset for Roberto Mancini's side. So, Mm. uh, just great to actually see him scoring more goals than usual, to have better teammates around him to bring the best out of his game as well. Absolutely right. 100%. And Dejan Kuluzewski, we're not going to talk about him, but he is one of those better teammates who will be helping Chiesa in years to come. Let's just move on, shall we? We're just we're just being you way off and going to Napoli. I mean, there's a couple of other things, but I can't really. After ten years, I cannot be bothered to say any more about Juventus on to Napoli because they ended the season so well, so well for such a long period of time, but they fell 
on the last day to a draw and they were so, so close, but they did not qualify for the Champions League. And Kev, despite how good their second half of the season was, they will not feel anything other than disappointment when they reflect on this season. No, and I don't think they should feel you know, overly disappointed. I think there's, you know, when I did that whole mapping out what points people would take towards the end of the season, I Napoli actually didn't lose that many. You know, if you compare it to, to Lazio's sort of last two or three games, where they sort of really, really dropped off, I know they didn't have very much to play for. And this happened across Europe. You think of um, Leicester, who were going for Champions League places. There were a couple of sides in Germany. And actually, the the winning runs or the runs that the likes of Juventus, Borussia Dortmund, Liverpool went on that kind of gave us the the traditional Champions League qualifiers in those, those countries was actually as important as any failings in the sort of the Napoli side. It just, it feels that more, more impactful because of that whole one, one draw on the final day. Hmm. I think if that draw comes sort of the week before and then everybody goes into those games and Napoli beat Hellas Verona, we're not, but it's because I think it's, it's, it's fell on the final day and it has similarities with, whatever season it was when Higuain missed a late penalty, didn't he? I think they dropped out of when it was still three places for Champions League. Um, but, you know, over the course of the season, fifth's probably about right. It's just, they just they were, they were so entertaining going forward, but were a little bit too open at the back. If I were to ask you, Kev, how many teams in Serie A do you reckon won more matches than Napoli did? You're going to tell me one. I am going to tell you one. Inter won 28, Napoli won 24, Milan also won 24, Atalanta and Juve won 23. It's not bad, is it? No, see, actually, that's something we didn't touch on with, with Milan, but, you know, we can. They, they broke the record this year for away wins. Mm. Um, but if you look at all the, the five top European leagues, there were more away wins than any other season, which is arguably yes. the result of the. The, the fans outside of stadiums because I thought, you know, we'd probably see more wins for some of those sides like you know, near Napoli away from home that they wouldn't usually get. Um, not that I want to discredit what Napoli did, but they are they are very much um, black or white if we call it that with their results. They don't they You're don't draw Napoli many games or Bianconeri. Oh well yeah, sorry you want to be pleased about that. Um, <laughs> hit or miss. There we go. <laughs> Hit or hit or miss is the uh, the phrase I should have used, um, but that's but that's a good thing, you know. I think that from because I used to get frustrated with the sides that they they play the big games, and you get somebody like Mancini, and he'd go, I can take a point against Inter mm. and whoever else, and Juve or Milan, and that, and we'll smash all the little sides. Whereas Napoli just go, yeah, we're going to win this game, we might mm. lose this game, but our fundamental, and if Gattuso can get that out of a less talented bunch of players at Fiorentina next season, then finally Fiorentina fans will have a lovely side to watch, which they haven't probably had, um, not over any prolonged period anyway in the last few years. Mm. No. Um, how much of that do you put down to Gattuso, though? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm he's he's he, he is helped by the quality of players I think he has there. Mm. And um don't know if has a <laughs> a more educated view than my just he's got very good players and an eighty million pound striker. <laughs> well look, I hold that thought because I am gonna say Vito he does have a lot of very good players, but it it is quite a, an old not in terms of age, but in terms of time spent together core. Is this summer with with Spalletti coming in the time to maybe break that up and start afresh? To be honest, I don't think so because what's already there suits Spalletti's preferred four two three one formation. I don't think there's really that much you'd really want to change from that team. Uh, more than anything, I would get rid of Espina in goal because he is 33, if I'm not mistaken. And I think you just got to put all your eggs in the Alex, Alex Merritt basket. Don't worry about rotating two good goalkeepers. Merritt, I think, is one for the future, uh, especially for the national team. And, yeah, and it's you know, interesting that you just laugh there because Merritt's actually 24 now. And yeah. This is his time, and I think he's ready. I think he's good to go. Even if he has a few slip-ups, back him in. That's a must. The defence, I think, is fine with Di Lorenzo, Manolas, and um, Koulibaly. And then you've got Rachmani as a backup. That's fine. But a proper left-back is a must. Mario Rui is bang average. Um, send him to one That's of the kind. big boys in Portugal. So, yeah. It's, look, sometimes he's, he has his moments. He's okay. But other times he's terrible. Pesai is going to go. So have a proper wing uh, left-back that's actually going to give Insigne proper support and back him in. Um, I reckon that uh, midfield, well, it depends if they're going to sell Fabian Ruiz or not, but uh, maybe with that double pivot, that's probably where they need to invest. Uh, Matias Vecino from uh, Inter could be coming in and he's played on the Spalletti, so um, that's a possibility. The front, I mean, the attacking midfield trio, I don't think 
can be touched or needs to be touched. Lozano and Politano rotating is fine. Zielinski's been fantastic. Uh, Insigne, I think we're running out of superlatives for him. He's been sensational. Uh, great great leader for them and an extraordinary player to watch. So leave them. And then Ozzyman, um, as long as he stays fit, no, um, I think he would have had a better debut, debut season if he didn't have the shoulder injury and didn't contract COVID. But... Uh, Next season, I think uh, we'll really see him blossom and just uh, torment uh, Serie A defenses. So, yeah, just left back and maybe a central mid is what um, Spalletti really needs. I don't think they really need to um, overturn the squad significantly. All right. Um, I'm going to go and chat to Hugh and Burns about the Serie A Femenile season that was. Um and we'll be back to speak to the. I'll be back to speak to you all with with these two guys in just a moment. You and Burns for the final time this season. You're joining us to talk about Serie A Femminile. Of course, Juventus reigns supreme as they tend to. Um, but it was a pretty good season in all, despite the fact that the title was never really in doubt. Yeah, it was a weird one with it not being in doubt because it wasn't, but also it wasn't confirmed until like, I think it was the penultimate weekend or maybe the one before. Because um, obviously that that ridiculous stat for Milan where they were right sort of right behind them as it were, only six points behind, having beaten everyone in the league <laughs> except for Juve mm-hmm. twice. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean you, you'd you'd hope there'd be a better title challenge next season. But for, for Juve, it's obviously been an incredible league season, but. For a team that's won that many games, they'd have wanted to you know, win the cup. They'd have wanted to go further in the Champions League. So they got knocked out in the round of 32 by Leon, who obviously Leon are an incredible team. But um, it'll be really interesting to see what they do next year. And they've got Milan with them in that Champions League as well. Um, but the manager is actually moving on. Um, it, it seems so. She's been there for the last four years. Obviously, she's won the four titles in a row with them. Mm. Um, it's not immediately clear why. I think it's more just a end of the project sort of thing. Mm. Um, but they're looking at getting um, Joe Montemora, who's the ex-Arsenal coach, and obviously they're very successful. He's won a lot with them. I actually looked into his playing career, and he he, he played for a team called Brunswick Juventus in Australia, um, and then also played for Treviso in the north of Italy. <laughs> um, but yeah. It, there's some quotes from him that suggest that he can take a bit of a break, but then Juventus apparently are very, they're pretty sure they're going to get him. So um, if someone like that comes in, comes in, it may well be that they're just going to steamroll the league once again. Must be a weird position yeah. going into the league, not knowing if, if you win it, but don't win every single game, it could be conceived as a failure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a bit of a poison chalice, that job, you'd, you'd say, because Rita Guarino has obviously won every single game with Juve this season. It's not just that they they went unbeaten. I mean, I think we spoke about it on the pod a couple of weeks back, but they played 22 matches and they won 22 matches. That is a phenomenal record. And there was a stat, it's it's not quite at the, the front of my brain at the moment, but aren't they the first team, men or women, to do that since the, the three points were introduced yeah. for a win, which is an astonishing achievement. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this um, transition goes next season. You would expect that they will be favourites again next season. But 
from from what we've seen, I mean, they're not in the Coppa Italia final, which of course is being played later this evening at the time of recording. Not going to get into that because um, we've obviously had a bit of a chaotic day with with that. But um, Milan and Roma would probably be two of the teams who would fancy themselves, along with Sassuolo and possibly Fiorentina, to make a little bit of a title push next season. So it does look like it's going to be a bit more competitive at the top next term. Yeah, they're, they're certainly the four teams that, that that look set to cause at least some sort of challenge. You know, Milan were keeping tabs on them pretty much until the end. They they had they sort of fell apart at the end of the season. They had a few little draws and stuff when their season kind of died in a league sense. Um, and then Sassuolo finished really strongly, and they ended up actually only one point behind Milan, which mm. I'm pretty sure that gap partway through the season was like eight or nine points. Um, so they're they're definitely going to be trying to lay some gloves on teams like Juventus, and then um, Roma. Obviously, were, they were fourth for so long, and they're in this Coppa Italia final. They beat Juventus, which is a big statement in itself going into a new campaign. But they sort of wobbled a bit towards the end of the season. You wonder if they had their eyes elsewhere because they actually ended up mm. dropping to fifth, even though they had a big gap because Fiorentina won their last four games. They really hit a good patch of form, and you you think for their sake that they can carry that into next season and you know, you know there could be an upset in that title with with the women's game being new you often get big changes suddenly in in who is good because th- things aren't quite as embedded as they are in the men's game because it's you know some clubs haven't existed for so long things like that so you, you get chops and changes a lot more regularly exactly i mean the both milanese sides are relatively new even by the standards of women's football in in italy juventus themselves too but yeah let's hope let's hope because i mean we've spent years and years hoping for a, a more competitive title race in in the men's game so it would be nice to have the same in, in the women's game too um although i'm not quite sure if we can expect to see anyone other than juventus win either Serie A Feminile or, or the, the men's Serie A next season to be honest the way things are going they're Obviously, with the way the the league format is in the women's game, there's only 12 teams in the Premier Division, but there was still a lot of... I mean, you look at it, the, the points differences are... It's quite tight, everything in the middle, and then there's quite a big drop-off between Verona Napoli and then San Marino. So San Marino and Napoli spent most of the second half of the season scrapping against relegation. They played each other... Um, towards the end of the season. And we kind of bigged it up. You know, we thought it was going to be a really, really <laughs> decisive game. It was a decisive game, but it finished 5-0 to Napoli. In the end, Napoli ended up staying up by two points. So that was the decisive game, but it just didn't pan out as we might have hoped it would. Um, San Marino relegated and Bari, who had kind of been relegated since October, mm-hmm. have both fallen into Serie B. They, Barry have sort of had the same situation with Juve where they've known their fate for ages but because of that big <laughs> drop-off that you mentioned down to those last three teams it wasn't actually confirmed until again I think the penultimate weekend or something daft like that even though they won the very first game of the season <laughs> against Napoli and must have thought well we can kick on from here and then they literally lost the next 21 <laughs> um, so they certainly knew what was coming even if it wasn't confirmed until later on but um, San Marino it there, there, there was, I think it was the penultimate weekend, San Marino won against whoever it was, I can't remember off the top of my head now, and Napoli only drew with Hellas Verona, who were who were safe, but the next team up. 
Um, so in that sort of situation, that's a must-win game, you'd think. Um, so that's what made it, I think it was, I think it was two points or one point between them going to the final day. Um, but San Marino came up against Fiorentina, who, as we said, were in fantastic form. And even though it was only 2-1 that game, it never, ever looked like San Marino were going to mm. turn that around. And in the end, uh, Napoli went and got a two-all draw at Roma on the final day, which was a very, very good result. But in the end, they didn't actually need that. Even if they'd lost, they would have been fine because San Marino just... Yeah. Didn't have the quality, and if, if you're going to lose five 0 against the team that you're kind of battling against relegation with, you can't really complain. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. That Napoli last game of the season as well, that was quite impressive because, like I said, they were safe anyway. They were two 0 down. They fought back. You know, they they scored mm. three minutes after going two 0 down. They pulled one back, and then they got the equaliser in the 88th minute. So they really, really did have a little bit of fight about them, and I loved following their celebrations on social media mm-hmm. so Eleonora Goldoni was was excellent for for her updates of the celebrations it was as if they had won the Champions League having already won every other title available the celebrations were incredible and there were videos of um of the team just out and around Naples Campania on these like big balconies, cars driving past, like beeping. It really seemed like the the whole city was behind them, which was really nice to see. Um, you should have been able to guess who San Marino's win came over on the penultimate round of the season. It was, of course, Bari, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> that's just how it goes in Serie A for me. Exactly. I mean, they must have been rubbing their heads together saying, oh, we've got them on the second last day of the season. Yeah. Good. We've oh, still God. got some hope. Uh, but we've got the Coppa Italia final. We're not going to talk too much about it because it is it is going to be outdated by the time this podcast is released. But Milan play Roma in it. And these are two clubs who, I mean, we've touched on it. You would really expect them to push on. If you were to tip one club other than Juventus to win the Scudetto next season, where is your pick going? Hmm. I think despite the little wobble towards the end of the season, just because of the fact that they did everything Juve did except beat Juve, I think you'd have to say Milan. Um, mm. They clearly had the beating of everyone in the league except the unbeatable team. Um, so, you know, if they can just sort those two games out, <laughs> then you'd think they can they could do it next season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got the just quick mention to Sassuolo, who, of course, have had an incredible season as a club because their their men's team set a record for a new points total, as did their women's team. So they look like they're very much on the up, and there is a lot of excitement around here about that Sassuolo team. They finished third, just a point behind Milan, as you said earlier. Coming up from Serie B next season, we've got Lazio. So that's nice. We're going to have a, a Rome derby in Serie A and Pomigliano as well. So it's nice to get that little bit of diversity, but also to get the big names that we know from from the men's game too, to show that teams are taking this as seriously as they should be taking it recently um, or at the moment. Have you got anything else to add before we wrap this up? Um, no, I think just on Sassuolo, they, they were really unlucky not to, not to nab that Champions League place off Milan, the, even though I've just tipped Milan to closest challenges next season they, they did wobble like I say and they they played a game against as well where it ended nil nil but um and that was enough to clinch Champions League for them but you know on another day they could have really found themselves losing that financial windfall as it were mm. I know um unofficially 
most of the team at FIF have been kind of um, wanting to see Roma, Fiorentina and I guess San Marino Academy do well because we got some interviews with their players <laughs> over the course of the season. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. Um, however, I would love to see Sassuolo do something next year just because I, I have a lot of time for that club all across the board. That club just do things the right way, to be honest. So let's hope Sassuolo can push on and be the unlikely Scudetto winners next season. Um, <laughs> in both Serie A, let's, let's hope we can keep our fingers well, crossed. That you and... <laughs> Sorry? That'd be something, wouldn't it? Probably. It <laughs> would. It really, really would. <laughs> yeah. But who knows? It's, it's up for grabs un- unless Allegri <laughs> just does what we fully expect him to do. But anyway, uh, Ewan, thanks very much. I'll speak to you again next season. Cool. And we're back. Okay. We're going to take a little bit of a break away from the football. And we're going to go over to Kev's kit corner. Kev, you've been tapping away the spreadsheet for the best part of the the last six months, dare I say. Yeah. What have you got to tell us? Well, yeah, so, uh, so a couple of questions for you guys. So, so obviously, if you want to guess who are the worst who are the worst culprits for Parma. change, you know, wearing the most kits each season and maybe and how many times or how many different times they wore a kit. Right. Well, how many different so times? So you've gone Palmer. Do you yeah. want to throw anybody in? Are you asking Vito yeah, to so throw how, a name yeah, in? Yeah, so how many times? Well, yeah, right. Vito should, he certainly should throw a name in. Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yes. Okay, look, uh, I don't think we were number one in this category, but I could see why Kev would be irate at Sampdoria because we had the special commemorative Andrea Doria kits, the, which, you know, just to make it easier for the English-speaking world, similar to Blackburn Rovers, if you like. Mm. So we had that late in 2020. And then oh uh, God. just recently... this season? Yep. Yes. This Wasn't season, it? yes. Mm. <laughs> I bought what I treated myself. That was my Christmas yeah. present to myself. <laughs> yeah, so I was glad with that. And uh, late in this season, it's meant to be a third kit for 2021-22, but we decided to wear our third kit against Spezia, if I'm not mistaken. At home. At, at home. home. At home. So <laughs> there you go. A predominantly red jersey with no hoop, just a... Bunch of stripes down the right side. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so see, I'm sure that would uh, make uh, Kev fume inside. I, I, I can forgive wearing next season's home shirt at home, say the last game of the season, which actually tipped tipped Juve into the pot with Sampdoria and Palmer for all wearing I didn't get to guess five Palmer's different kit strips. Yet. Oh, well, you can guess, guess away at the kits, but there were five of them. But yeah. Samp, Juve, and Palmer all wore five kits. Yeah, because Palmer, Palmer annoyed me with their kits. All of their kits were lovely kits, but they brought out the home kit, and then they brought out the the B fluo, a dark blue with the fluorescent yellow kits, and then they decided that they're right there. It's Palmer. They're not playing in Europe or anything. Then they decided they wanted to have two third kits. So they had a, a first kit, a second kit, and two third kits. I'm not sure they, they know their numbers very well. So they released the, the one that looks like a Boca one, and then the reverse Boca one. 
and then at the end of the season they released the the Black Lives Matter charity kit. That's five, isn't it? Yeah. So now the interesting thing, again, if you're me and nobody else who's listening, is that you look at those three clubs and they are relegated, mid table, and Champions League. And I always kind of associate too many kits with someone who's, you know, like you said, like you said earlier about, you know, they're not in Europe, you know, so you are in Europe and they're also got a huge, you know, global fan base. So that's where they try and rinse as much money as they can. So actually for them to come from those sort of kind of different mm. point, you know, positions within the table, Palmer win because although they all have five kits. Yes, that's something. Palmer, Palmer changed shirts when it wasn't a kit clashed. <laughs> Fifth, 15 times, <laughs> which I think was twice more than the next worst culprit. And actually, just before I finish on this, because I'm sure Connor wants to finish uh, on the kit corner, their special mention goes for Crotone for bringing out that PSG kit, as lovely as it was. It's exactly the same colours yeah. as their, well, their home shirt anyway. And then they just call it their blue versus Palmer <laughs> kit. And then wore it the week after against Milan. <laughs> you know, that was only their fourth kit change of the season, but it deserves okay. a special mention just be- just because of how close it was how to their actual How mad it ownership. was as well. And that they were already relegated by then. Yeah. So I think they were just trying to get as much money out, you know, slap some Serie A um, uh, sort of labels on the sleeves as well. I have a couple of questions, Kev. Mm. So the unnecessary kit changes, they're obviously, for the most part away team offences, right? Uh, yes, I think probably Palmer tipped over because they did so many at home, though. Oh, okay. And actually, Ju- Juve did as well. So Juve, actually, the where they wore their next season's home kit, I, do- I didn't class that technically in that category, but they okay. did wear that human race kit at home to Verona. Yes. So they wore pink at home to Verona, and they wore the, the, that lovely we've discussed before dark blue little number mm. and they wore that twice at home as well Juve. so no it's not it's not predominantly when they play away and actually the, the two best sides in the league for unnecessary kit kit changes either home or away are Roma and Milan um I kind of understand that with Milan because that white away shirt's awful whereas yeah. I would have thought Roma would be trying to market the shit out of that uh, lovely sort of cream number that they've got shock Napoli aren't up there because Napoli used to just wear their third kit at home every week um, when they had that denim one, and then when they had the the camouflage one as well. But, um, yeah, but then what was my second question? Is, was for... is this the year where Juve released a second home kit, or was that last season? Do you remember the rank one with the orange and green and luminous bits? I think that was last season, wasn't it? I think there were still fans that, was, that game. That, that 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 was last season. Okay, yeah, that um, was last season. All right, Kev. I've no more questions. Have you anything else to, to add on your little kit corner? No, just that if people want me to keep doing it, I'll set the spreadsheet up for next year. Please do. I'm I'm, sure if I, want to. I quite like it, you know. I know I ridicule you for it, but I do quite like it. Um, anyway, back to the football then, well, shall we? The two capital clubs in sixth and seventh. Lazio finished sixth on 68 points. Roma six points behind them on 62. Level with Sassuolo, but of course beating them to the Europa Conference League by two goals, I think it was, in the end. Um, 
they won't like that we're doing this, but we kind of have to lump them in together. Generally speaking, Brito, probably a disappointing season for both. I'd say so. Probably more for Roma than for Lazio. Uh, Lazio, it would only seem disappointing that they did not qualify for the Champions League again, but given what Simone Inzaghi has worked with over the last, uh, over the five years that he had been head coach, I still think even getting to the Europa League is still a good enough achievement for them. So um, Lazio, the kind of team where they're very strong in some areas, but they're weak in others. And I don't think um, I don't think um, with uh, with uh, Lazio you can expect too much. Uh, Rome, on the other hand, you know they were as high as third. Uh, they were getting some pretty big wins against weaker sides, but when it came to facing anyone who was a rival for a European spot, that's where they crumbled. I mean, to lose, uh, they lost four-one uh, to Atalanta after. A Josip Bilicic show in the second half of that game in the first half of the season. And before that, they were smashed 4-0 away to Napoli just after Diego Maradona passed away. So, you know, the results against um, European rivals is uh, very concerning. And a bit disappointing. Probably the one thing they can really take out of this season is not so much what they did in Serie A, but the fact that they got into the second European semi-final in four years. And considering that... Roma have not won a European trophy in 60 years and they generally don't do much in Europe out of uh, Italy's clubs, you know, not just recently, but on an all-time scale. The record in Europe is not particularly impressive. Um, mm. That's not a bad achievement in hindsight. Maybe, again, the way the current generation thinks with social media and all that, they'll play it down a lot. But I think in hindsight, or if you just ignore the garbage that we just see online... I think Roma even getting to a European semi-final, I think that should be something they should uh, be proud of and appreciate. Hmm. I think there will just be some regret with how you know they they you know it ultimately ended. I think that's the only thing. It is they should get the plaudits for getting as far as they they did. But you know, I remember getting home from the gym, switching it on with them leading one 0 at Old Trafford, and then suddenly <laughs> just watching the goals roll in. And it was the same with Lazio. I remember switching on um, the first leg against Bayern Munich where they were just sort of tossing goals in for them or sort of passing the ball, rolling the ball across the mm. six-yard box. And letting, I can't remember what the score was now. It was, they must have hit four at the Stadio Olimpico and it probably just killed the tie over two legs. But that that's, you know, you said that people won't like us lumping the two in together, but they have had very kind of similar seasons, yeah. both domestically and European. Yeah, I mean they're, they're they are quite similar, though, aren't they? Like people hate the things that are most similar to them. That's kind of the case with with Parma, Reggio Emilia, Parma, Parma Modena. It's the same with the the two clubs down in the Eternal City as well. Anything else to add on them? No, uh, not, not based, based on this season. No, next oh, season's wow. where all the fun starts as well, because the big man. Jose Mourinho is going to be in the capital. Um, I kind of jokingly put this out on Twitter, but do you reckon when Antonio Conte resigned, Mourinho thought, "Ah, oh, shit, I took this Roma job too soon." I thought that, but then I'd already was thinking that with Pirlo under so much pressure, even before that Roma announcement, 
if you know if if Mourinho was serious no. about going back to Italy, why well, he maybe didn't hold on for that. But it, it's it you like like no like Mourinho at Juventus. Gasp then it, you know suggest no exactly it's not it's not a right fit, but he's not looked right fits for other jobs like Tottenham. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. So it, but... you know nothing surprises me with him in a way. Nothing you know like like him going to Roma really. Yeah, but he hates Juventus, doesn't he? It's more than just not being a good fit. He hates them. And it just, it would never, it would never. Yeah. Um, surely I not. I, was, I think I was probably a little surprised Conte went to Inter. Maybe not, not at the same level, but... Yeah, yeah but I don't know. remember, remember, Conte's hatred for Juventus's rivals has been surpassed by Conte's hatred for the Agnelli family. So that will be the reason for that. Anyway... Guys, on to the, the second batch of three um, for the FIF Awards. We're back with the categories of best signing, biggest loser, and the team of the season. The team of the season is more like the, the, the Serie A team who we feel have had the best season, um, rather than us naming our players. That will come a little bit later on. For the first of those categories, the best signing you'll be happy to know i have found the nominees so we all everyone at faf put up some names and then the most suggested names got narrowed down to a handful and then you guys vote for them so the the finalists for signing of the season were federico chiesa ashraf hakimi christian romero Ficaro tomori and henrik mkhitaryan kev of those where did your vote go uh, the obvious one with Hakimi, although I did have Mkhitaryan down as a suggestion. Okay, um, but I also went a little bit out of the box and went Barak. I, you know, I was quite yeah. impressed with this year. Yeah, good nomination, but unfortunately, he wasn't one of the finalists. Vito, of the finalists, who got your vote? Uh, I voted for Hakimi. Hakimi, right? I also voted for Ashraf. Ashraf Hakimi from that bunch but the voting from the general public gave Fikayo Tomori 13% in third place in second place with 35% is that Inter fallback Hakimi and the winner signing of the season I mean it's quite an obvious one really 44% of the votes Federico Chiesa so hats off to little feather because he's had a very very good breakthrough season in in Turin, I don't know why I call them Little Feather. I've never done that in my life, but there you go. Um, the loser of the season, and I'll I'll level with you. We didn't take suggestions for this from the writers, and then when I realised we had to do this category, I just threw out the first things that came into my head, and I was asked by the the website owner, the matching editor. Why have you picked Rocco Camiso as a loser? And I said, he's just a loser, isn't he? That was the only justification I had for him. But a lot of our readers and listeners appear to agree with me, thankfully. Um, in third place, the biggest loser, Sandro Tonali, 14% of the votes. It's always so harsh when an individual player gets voted for. And I felt guilty putting him forward for it, but there you go. Milan fans, I'm very, very sorry. Um, second place with 29% of the vote, the man I chose on a whim, <laughs> Rocco Camiso. 
the second biggest loser in Italian football. But the biggest loser or losers in Italian football with 44% of the votes. Your friends and mine, Parma. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it's not been a good season for the Crociati, unfortunately. I always find that category so painful, but so funny as well. Um, And then the... Last, <laughs> the last category from this bunch is the team of the season. So the finalists that we narrowed this down to were Inter, Atalanta, Milan, Sassuolo and Spezia. Vito, which of those those teams gets your vote? Uh, repeat that again. <laughs> Sorry, I've lost my, I've lost the run of myself. Um, Inter, Sorry. Atalanta, Milan, Sassuolo, and Spezia. Team of the season. Uh, look, I'd st- I still go Inter. They won the league by 12 yeah. points. Yeah, it's the obvious choice, isn't it, Kev? Yeah, I'd probably take the obvious choice on this one because I went coach with Deserby. Mm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, what Inter did have to be team of the season. I went for Spezia on this one to be honest because they had no right to stay up and I'm looking at our season predictions and I predicted them to finish bottom as did most of the website um the voting was as follows joint second inseparable on 22% apiece Atalanta and Milan so that means um the the team of the season is voted for by you with 50% of the votes the champions Inter Back to Serie A. The relegated teams, Benevento, Parma and Crotone are gone. Although I put that in the wrong order, didn't I? It's Benevento, Crotone, Parma. Um, gone. And you've got to look at this and wonder. Crotone have bounced back in recent years. Benevento have bounced back in recent years. Parma went all the way down and, and bounced back in recent years. Kev, do you reckon these sides can do that again? Or are we a little bit more pessimistic about their chances? I'd like to think Crotone could because at times I quite enjoyed watching them. But yeah, thinking back to the first week of the season where they sort of lost four one to Genoa, should have been the signs that they, you know, they just didn't have it mm. in them. And you would have hoped they they would because it was them coming back for a sort of second stab at it. But it was kind of their season in a microcosm, just that they 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 looked very easy on the eye. They you know, attacked. They had Simi obviously getting some goals in, but they just they just conceded too easily too often. And they I can't remember a period in the season where they looked like they were gonna tighten things up at the back and turn some of those two, three one defeats into one one draws or one nil wins. Um but yeah they they might be back but hopefully next time with a a little sort of um not more defensive attitude but more a uh, more resolute rear guard. Hmm. But probably without Simi, right? He's got to go this summer. They have said he's going, I think. Yeah. I remember one of the last games of the season that he's going. What I find staggering is uh, in the latest rumour mill, they they reckon that uh, Simi's going to drop back down to Serie B and join Stroppa at Monza, which I think is staggering. I think... I think he should go to either Lazio or Salernitana, if, if that speculation is more correct. I think, uh, especially at Salernitana, to have someone who's already got Serie A experience and he's prolific at a 
struggling club, I think he'd be a big asset there. I think uh, Lazio, though, with uh, Sarri coming in, he probably won't fit the system, will be guaranteed playing time, but Salernitana will be fantastic. To drop down to Monza just, just because of the Berlusconi project, I think it's a bit of a risk considering he's 29 this year. Yeah. So, nah, stay in Serie A, Simi. Yeah, I really don't want him to drop down to Serie B again. He's, he's done that before on us when we didn't want him to, so don't do it again, please. Simi, you're too good for that. 20 goals in Serie A. You, you shouldn't be doing that and going there to Serie B. What's, it goes try score 40. I mean, come on. He's better than that. Um, Got to be honest, I'm quite positive about Parma because Enzo Maresca has come in from Manchester City's under-23s. Very, very highly thought of. And finally, Gervinho's gone. I mean, <laughs> we don't have to worry about him in this city anymore. He, he's gone. He's left Italy as a whole. Travels on sport. It's it's done. So <laughs> I do think it, it's refreshing to see. Obviously, the the owners have a full summer and a full transfer window. Importantly, rather than just the last week of one. So I do think that Palmer are going to get things sorted, and we'll have a very very good chance of coming back up. A lot of that does, of course, depend on who they manage to keep. Um. My curiosity in regards to the Maresca appointment is that um, I think the main talking point with him is that he's been that Manchester City under twenty threes coach. Mike, my, my curiosity because I haven't seen his teams play is that considering that he probably had his best years as a player with Sevilla or just in Spanish football in general, he seemed to be more appreciated there than in Serie A. Uh, Manchester City, as you know. There's a city group, but you've got Guardiola there. He'll, you know, he's implemented his philosophy there. So I'm curious is if uh, Maresca is just going to be another Guardiola imitator or someone that will bring a more Spanish style than, if you like, than uh, your stereotypical Italian way of coaching. So, yeah, I think if he does go down that, mm, I think if he does go down that path, it'd be great depending on how many of the youngsters stay there because. Mm. Uh, I'd like to think Mahaila and Dennis Mann could stay in Serie A, but uh, if they go down to Parma in Serie B and Maresca is indeed that type of coach that will develop the kids and play attacking football, um, I think, again, you know, uh, there'll be another team that will improve. And uh, those players, I think, uh, thriving under that kind of philosophy might develop into top players. Yeah, if Maresca is what everyone thinks and expects and hopes them to to be here, then Man and Mihailo will have a lovely time next season. I'm not so convinced that they will both be here, though. I mean, it's based on nothing other than a, a hunch. I I wouldn't be surprised if one was here and one wasn't. Um, I'd probably feel more confident that Mihailo's going to be here than, than Man next season, but who knows? Anything could really happen at the moment, given the way the summer is going to look with, with transfers. The the European Championship as well usually prevents so many deals going through, but there we go. Some some special mentions then this season. I mean, we've we've got to give a nod again, Kev, to Sassuolo. They've they as a club. I mentioned this when I chatted to you and just a few minutes ago. But as a club, what a year it's been for them. They set a new record in in the women's Serie A for a points total. They finished third very nearly got into the Champions League. They set a new record in the, in the men's Serie A, set a new points total, very nearly got into 
European football. This is a club who, despite Deserby leaving because he thought he could, he's taken them all as far as he could, they are still on the up. And it's it's another, like Atalanta, it, it's a nice thing to see. Yeah, and I really hope that next season I'll be able to get over and see them in the flesh because it's one of those, uh, one of the few stadia in uh, Serie A I haven't visited I yet. wouldn't advise it. Um, it would be nice maybe to see them still playing deserve football. Hey, anything I'll do at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's those nice little stories that you like to hear and ruffle the feathers of the big boys. And it was just a shame maybe with him. Uh, their hundredth anniversary, wasn't it? That they didn't just squeeze yeah. into Europe. They just 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 fell out and just dropped too many points towards the sort of last five or six weeks. You'd worry for them after the Zerbi, though, when a coach that that influential moves on. It, it's always a little bit of a concern, but hopefully they can continue. Another team that I personally would be worried for, given the coach's departure. A surprising coach's departure this time, though, is Alas Verona. Even Juric is gone. He's gone to Torino. And Vito, am I right to fear that maybe they could become a little bit of a yo-yo club again without Juric? Verona could possibly do that because when when they came back up, they hired Juric. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting them to get relegated and I was perhaps one of them. But He's turned them into a mid-table side, and I think his coaching was a fundamental part of that. Um, after selling defenders like Rachmani and Kumbula, and they had a few other players leave, uh, they still performed reasonably well this season. And uh, Marco Silvestri, uh, Federico Di Marco, Antonin Barak, they had uh, excellent campaigns. Lazovic was solid. Uh, Matias Zakani, uh, he, he was very good up front too. So next season, I think there is that concern, and it really depends on how they rebuild the team. Not only that, also depends on who they're going to hire as a coach as well because, mm. you know, if they're going to hire someone with a different coaching philosophy to Juric, and they probably will, um, yeah, there's that likelihood that they will drop down a fair bit. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope not. You would hope not. Kev Spezia, another team who performed above... All expectations secured their Serie A status with a couple of weeks to spare, but I mean they were they were very comfortable for for most of the season, and they've been a really nice addition to Serie A. Yeah, and I was just relieved that one of the um, yeah. promoted sides stayed up because Benevento were kind of filling that criteria as well, and then sort of nosedived. But yeah, they they played some lovely football, kind of like with that same sort of youthful exuberance that we see with the likes of Sassuolo. And yeah, I, I hope they can maybe solidify their position next year and not, you know, not, not be dragged into a relegation fight, which obviously it looked like they were, they were going to towards the end of the season and they just uh, had a couple of crucial wins. With the new ownership there, the Platek family that now owns Spezia, I'd like to think that they can hold on to Vincenzo Italiano as a coach. Because after years of trying through the Serie B playoffs, he was the coach that managed to achieve that and get them into Serie A. And what he's done to help them survive relegation in the maiden Serie A campaign on years, it has been a fantastic achievement. If they can uh, find better reinforcements for him, 
uh, again, continue with some good recruiting find the right players for his uh, 4-3-3 formation, um, perhaps they can achieve a greater Serie A stability. So even if the Platek family don't invest enough to take them to the top half of the table, at least give him a better squad. So they're avoiding the drop. Mm. Vito, Sampdoria, we touched on a little bit last week, so maybe we don't need to go into too much, but... Their season as a whole, Ranieri's gone. <laughs> I mean, ev- like everybody uh, from the mm. Serie benches this summer. But he signs off having marked a good card this season. Ninth place for most people wouldn't be much. But I think given where Sampdoria are at as a club and the squad that he had at his disposal, um, I don't think too much could have been expected. Um, I was not expecting ninth place, but he did that. Um, we saw some players perform reasonably well, more so than they would in previous seasons. So um, I think that's something to be positive about. But uh, yeah, next season is probably going to be another tough season because Ranieri, at least, he had the experience, so he knew how to bring the best out of players, knows how to organise a team, keep it simple, bring tranquility. So those are his characteristics. And even with the coaching career he's had for over 30 years, he at least was a name that the club had. At least he was some sort of a draw card or some source of appeal, if you like, for the Blue Cherkati. So, um, yeah, I'll be honest, I'm expecting 2021-22 to be a tough one for some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As long as Quags is there, you'll be okay. As long yeah, as Quags is there, you'll be okay. Don't you worry. He still scored some nice goals. He scored 13 of them, Vito. Crucially. Yeah, 13. Crucially. Yeah. Um, Kev's not impressed. Um, so. One more than I thought he'd get. One more than I know we'll be talking about veterans. You like... thought he'd get. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we will be talking about veterans in, in just a moment. But first, we've got to talk about two of the more disappointing stories of the season. Uh, Torino and Cagliari. So, Vito, you can take Cagliari. And, and Kev, first, you can take Torino. You wrote the... Um, Torino season review for the website as well. Um, I mean, it was just a really, really bad season. Yeah, it was. It was terrible, and it never looked like it was gonna have the the the, the happy ending, I suppose, for fans more than anybody else um, that saw them stay up. And yeah, the 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 real disappointing thing for me was when they sort of changed half the team to play Milan. Oh, here you go again. And, well, you know, I would have just, um, I, I, I don't know what the Bellotti uh, sign <laughs> is. Me, it means, but... Um, it's going to do it for as long as you're talking about Torino. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah, it's just, they were lucky because then they, um, they dropped points and could have fell through the Syria trap door and... Belotti shouldn't be there next year. I think he needs to force his way out. You know, maybe maybe a depressed market might. You know, they won't like the figures that are coming at them for Belotti. But yeah, I'd be running for the hills. He's got to. He's got to. He stayed for them with them for about five years. Too many. Um, mm. He's got to call time and stay at the Stadio Olimpico Grande Torino. Vita Cagliari. Cagliari should have been pushing for Europe this season. The fact that they only stayed up on the what was a penultimate round of the season is dreadful. But with with Semplici there, they could push. 
I think so. Uh, at Spal, they managed to finish 10th under Semplici, so he definitely got the best out of them and did an incredible job to get them from Seriaci up to Seria. And uh, at Cagliari, uh, I think he's definitely got a much better squad to work with. They got some good experience, but some decent kids as well. Uh, the performances improved immensely once he was there. Uh, once he had the team in his 3-5-2 formation, they had a clear idea, clear identity. And um, I think with him having a pre-season under his belt and coaching them for the full season, I think they've got the tools to be a top-half team. Also, and I didn't get to watch Coyote Parma live. Oh. I saw the highlights. But I finally managed to watch a replay of that game last night, and I thought, wow, what a great game. Uh, for, me, for me, that's in the top three best games yeah. of the season. Game of the season. Cla- Game of the season. Mm. Classic. So much drama. And both teams should have scored more. Ended 4-3, despite Coyote suffering two two-goal deficits, you know, 2-0 at one stage and 3-1 down, yet they still win it. And the thing is, they should have scored more, but they should have conceded more as well. So yeah. crazy game. These are Parma were winning 3-2 in the 91st minute. And they lost. Not only did they not win, they lost. Um, Only only Parma this season could do that. Let's be very, very clear. Um, If Cagliari played against any other team, they were not getting back into that game. But unfortunately... That's just the way things have gone for, for the yellow-blue this season. And they very much need to just get it out of their system. Forget that this year existed and try to build from Serie B next season. Um, guys, that's it in terms of talking about Serie A. We've got a few more bits to get through, but we're, we're very much in the final stretch of this podcast now. What has been a marathon podcast, I think it's fair to say. Perhaps the longest we've ever done, as a three, certainly. Um, Final three categories for the FAF Awards. The veteran player of the season, the young player of the season, and the overall player of the season. Now, there were criteria for the veteran and the young. I can't quite remember what the ages were. I think it was 36 or over at the start of the season, and then 21 or younger at the start of the season. Um, but anyway, a lot of names were mentioned. The nominees for, or the the finalists rather, for the veteran player of the season were Goran Prandev, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Fabio Quags, Quagliarella, Rodrigo Palacio, and Samir Andanovic. My vote did not go to Quags for this one. My vote went to Rodrigo Palacio because last season in Serie A. And I think he deserves the recognition. Kev, who did you vote for here? The same, because I was—I think I was just surprised with the sheer number of minutes he puts in as well. Mm. And when you watch, you kind of think that he's not quite as old yeah. as what he is. You know, I probably put him like three years younger. Is he 39 now? And I kind of put him at the sort of 36, you know, age bracket. But you should know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I wrote a piece on it. I'm pretty sure he's 39. Yes. So. He is 39, yeah. Um, there you go. Vito hates him. Oh, I hate the rat tail more. I can see him tensing up. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at who he played for. And then the rat tail on top of it. <laughs> he 
said good riddance when he, when he left Bologna. <laughs> the most disrespectful thing you've ever tweeted. I oh, know there was that time. I, I'm not going to say. Didn't, didn't Leo call someone out? Yeah, see you next Tuesday on Twitter once and it was oh, very unexpected yes, yeah 100% <laughs> he did uh, Vito who did you vote for for the veteran of the season do I need to ask no but I knew it was going to be a token vote for him anyway I knew he wasn't going to win this year but I thought I'd give him a bit of, a bit of love well look for 17 seasons in a row is uh, phenomenal mm. scoring wise Qualiorella are you giving Qualiorella some Praise. Yeah, because I heard the stat earlier. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, anyway, uh, the, the the final three in third place with 9% of the vote, it is that man, Fabio Qualiorella. Second, 16% of the vote, Samir Andanovic. The winner was clear. 68% of the vote. It's um, Rodrigo Palatinos. No, it's Zlatan Ibrahimovic, of course. It's Zlatan Ibrahimovic, despite the fact that he decided the football was a secondary career at some point this season and started to play at a music festival. Uh, the Young Player of the Year award, the finalists were Giacomo Raspadori from Sassuolo, of course, Alessandro Bastoni, Dusan Vlavic, Muzabaro, and Victor Oziman. Vito, who got your vote here? Dusan Vlaovic. Hmm. It's a good choice. He was the young MVP for, for Serie A. Kev, who got your vote here? Yeah, the, the same, although I desperately wanted to give it to Osserman, but he missed too much of the season. I gave it to Giacomo Raspadori because his story is better than anyone else's story, and I don't care about the statistics. Um, however, Victor Osiman finished third with 9% of the vote. Second place, Dusan Vlahovic with 34% of the vote, and the winner with 47% of your votes, Alessandro Bastoni, which I'm quite pleased about, given the, the Atalanta tie and the fact that I saw him play at Parma for a whole season as well. Um, so that's good. But now's the big one, the, the overall player of the season award. The finalists that we managed to narrow this down to were Frank Kessie, Romelu Lukaku, Luis Muriel, Little Feather Chiesa and Alessandro Bastoni. Vito, who got your vote? Uh, for player of the season, uh, I voted for Lukaku. Of course you did. Kev, who got your vote? Absolutely same as Vito. Big Rom. As Lukaku. I promised on the pod last week, I changed my vote because I knew Lukaku was going to win this. And I voted for Frank Kessie. Um, I thought he deserved that much. Third place, 18% of the vote. Surprisingly high, actually. Federico Chiesa. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes <laughs> I don't fucking know what our readers are talking about. Um, second place, 23% of the vote. Respectable 23% of the vote. Frank Kessie and the winner with 48% of the votes. It's big Rom. Romelu Lukaku, congratulations, Romelu Lukaku, player of the season. Undoubted, really, um, what a season he has had. Now, guys, should we go through our own? We're going to go through a couple of different categories here. We're going to go through our own team of the seasons, 
um, our highlights and our lowlights of the season. So I'll pull up the team of the season spreadsheet. Kev, have you got yours to hand or do you need me to give it to you? No, I know what mine is. Yeah. Okay, good. Vito, you are prepared, so I'm assuming you have yours and I don't need to, to ask. Uh, nodding his head, <laughs> look at that professional. Right, so we'll go through it. We'll read out our individual teams and then we will talk about the, the FIF team that was voted for by the end. So my goalkeeper is Silvestri, back four. I should say all of these are played in four, three, three. Um, what? Yeah, so this is the one thing that gets me is that we, you know, me and Vito, Vito. Yeah, no, look, I, I don't know why this happened either. I, I don't get it. Uh, three, four, three would be great. But anyway. Yeah, well, look, we'll do three, four, three for next season. I don't know why it was four, three, three. Um, but... 4-3-3, starting with the right-back, Ashraf Hakimi, centre-backs, Bastoni and Romero, left-back, Robin Gosens, midfielders, Barella, Kessie, and a little bit of licence dropping Lorenzo Insigne in there. And my three strikers were Simi, Romelu Lukaku, and Luis Muriel. Kev, talk us through your team, please. So, Silvestri and goal. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets interesting. Yep. Or not. This is where I'd like a three four three because yep. I I decided to go against Hakimi and I originally I put Quadrado in. I think this I is the worst thing for, you've done this season. I, I asked for creative license, could I class Chiesa as a wing back? Because I wanted to kind of acknowledge one of their performances. I probably should have just stuck with Quadrado. Mm-hmm. Um then Romero and Bastoni. Mm-hmm. Then DiMarco from Verona at left back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of taken a, a slightly different route. Barella and Kessie, like you had, and then interesting because I didn't, I couldn't squeeze Insigne into my front three. I didn't want to sort of shoe him, horn him into midfield. And I thought right. Zielinski has performed just as well for Napoli this year. So Zielinski midfield, and then the standard Lukaku, Vlaovic, and Muriel in attack. The standard. I didn't go for that. Um, but looking well, down the spreadsheet, it very much passed the standard, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, Vito Doria, talk us through your team, please. Okay, so Marcos Silvestri in goal, Gozens at left back, Hakimi right back, but I will give a shout out to Quadrado. Uh, Centre back, um, I picked the Vrij, but I thought Simon Kier was fantastic mm-hmm. as well. Romero, Ashurian, uh midfield. Barella, Kessie, and DePaul. I think DePaul, he carried Udinese to survival, deserves to leave Udinese. And when you look at that team, it looked like DePaul playing with 10 donkeys. Or DePaul, Musso, and nine donkeys. Sorry, I should say that. <laughs> and then up front, I had Lukaku, Muriel, and Insigne. <laughs> um, interesting on DePaul. DePaul actually got four votes. So uh, people who submitted their vote on time... There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine um, of the writers submitted their votes on time. The, the only player who was present in every single one of those teams was quite expectedly, I suppose, Romelu Lukaku. Um, a few players got in with eight of the nine votes. Luis Muriel, Barella got eight votes. Then you've got seven for Hakimi, Romero. And then there's other, and Kessie as well got seven. Then there, there are others as well. The closest we got was was at left back where, where Robin Gossens and, and Theo Hernandez both got four votes each. Again, 
<laughs> don't know why. Don't know why our writers are talking about it sometimes. So to to settle this, <laughs> I, I had to make a decision, and I realized that I probably could have been biased with with my decision making. So I decided not to to make the decision myself, and I decided to to let the statistics make the decision for me. Um, and there was only one choice when you look at the statistics. So I'm going to read out the, I'm just going to read out numbers. I'm not, I'm not going to say any names. I'm just going to read out numbers and I'll ask you guys, which of these players you would prefer to have in your team. So one of these players played 42 times this season, scored 12 goals and assisted eight. Um, 42, this is before the last weekend or the last two weekends of the season. The the other player played 43 times. Um, 10 of those came in a lesser European competition. Three of those came in qualification for a lesser European competition. And he, he only scored eight goals and only assisted seven. So he had fewer goals and fewer assists. And he played in worse competitions. Um, which of those players would you like in your team? Which, which of those players would you like in your team, Kev? The, the one who scored more goals in a better competition, or the, the one who did worse in in a worse competition? Yeah, I'll take Gosens. Thank you very much. Well, Robin Gosens got we'll in the team of the season. Theo Hernandez. Let's be honest, he's not the best left back in Serie A. Um, come at me. Anyway. Highlights of the season and lowlights of the season. I'm not sure if lowlights is really the, the correct word. Low point of the season. Um, my highlight, having fans in stadiums at the beginning of the season was very, very nice. Particularly in the Serie B game I went to, Spal. Um, that was very, very good. And then the, the Coppa Italia Femminile final, having fans there for that as well was, was great. It was really nice to be at a cup final too, given the, the, the year and a bit we've had. Low point, Kev mentioned it earlier, Papu Gomez. Um, and then also on a more serious note, perhaps, the that battle game as well. Because when I walked out of that stadium in October, I knew that fans weren't going to be allowed in anymore. So so that was a low point. Kev, high and low points? Um, high points that we got the season done. I wasn't entirely confident mm. that, you know, there would be more COVID related games and then we'd, we'd, we'd get into some scenario where people were playing two games in 48 hours or something, you know, something ridiculous. Forgot a low point. Um, I forgot a low point. that we've had. Oh. I forgot a low point. Um, awaiting arrival of away team. Saw that far too often over the course of this season. But anyway, Kev, back to you. Yeah, um, so another high point is probably just that we've 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 got a new um, a new champion, new Champions League representatives, and you know maybe the winds of change come in domestically a little bit. Um, low points, uh, the Super League. I know it's not specifically yeah. Serie A, but Juventus's <clears throat> involvement in it, I think, was just was just horrific. Um, and I know usually our low point is. Um, something about sort of uh, there's usually been a, a racist event which is very difficult to have when you've got no fans but I still felt it's when you think about the penalties handed out you know they were quick to deduct Napoli a penalty and give Juve that win when they didn't turn up and because 
Roma forgot to send Dior a birthday cake. And I think, why can't they act that swiftly with points deductions to some of the some of the racial issues that we've oh, had I've in previous seasons? And hopefully they would do that next uh, next time. But, got a theory, Gav. Yeah. Um, they just don't care, to be frank. No, well. But you think they're so pedantic over giving somebody a penalty point for you know the DOR issue and you think well if if you took if you took the points deduction option when other things uh, arise mm. then it would show some desire to change yes it, it absolutely would veto high points and low points oh high points well as we were talking about earlier, watching Kayari Parma, that was that was something special. So I think that game, watching a show like that, um, you know, two battling teams, but to me that's a great advertisement for Serie A. That's a you know, it goes to show you don't always have to watch the big boys for entertainment. Sometimes it's these mid table sides or the lower teams, they produce some absolute gems. So um for me that was a highlight. Um Without coming across as an attack on Juventus, I think having the domestic dominance broken was great. I think we needed a change. Didn't matter who it was. So uh, at least seeing Inter win the title is a breath of fresh air. So that was something. And uh, maybe with Juve having Allegri back, they might be able to resume the dominance. But for now, I think it's good to see that the Bianconeri didn't win it for a change. Uh, low points, well, the whole Juve Napoli COVID fiasco, I think that was just downright absurd. And yeah, the Diwara thing. So I think just the general incompetence of those in high positions in Italian football, uh, big low points. Uh, you know, we're talking about professional organisations and they still find ways to stuff things up. So that's a bad look for the league. Um, and on a personal note, low point, well... Uh, although the gesture of the Guard of Honor uh, against Inter was a fantastic uh, gesture by Ranieri and Samp, losing 5-1 was still embarrassing. But <laughs> I think being knocked out by your local rivals in in the Coppa Italia, I think that was the worst. So <laughs> You lose- tricked me. You tricked me because when you said on a personal on a personal level, I was like, here, here it is. Here it is. And then you went with Ranieri and I was thinking, oh no. And then here it is, the, the Coppa Italia derby. Uh, we did not win a derby this season. <laughs> Spewing. Spewing. <laughs> I can see that. Um, to be fair, you held it in for two hours. Congratulations. On that, <laughs> um, finally, the last thing we've got to touch on just before we finish. Going to go all the way back to the beginning of the season when we submitted our predictions for this term. And I say we did. Um, two of us did. The other the other was on the beach or something somewhere and never got the predictions submitted on time. So I'm just going to run you through. We we predict the top four in order, the, the relegated in order from 18th to 20th. Top score and a player to watch. Um... Vito, I've got yours up here. Your top four in order were Juventus, Inter, Atalanta, and Milan. So you got the right four, just the order was a little bit jumbled up. Your bottom three, you went for Udinese, Spezia, and Crotone. One out of three there. Um, Top scorer, Duvan Zapata, and player to watch, Sofian Amrabat. So not too bad there. 
um, across the board. You've got to be relatively pleased with those predictions, right? Yeah, not yeah, not too bad. Um, just with Juve was just more a safe bet. I mean, because a few yeah. times I was hoping for the uh, demise, but I thought it's Juve. They've always found a way. Even with Pirlo, I thought still a strong enough squad. But uh, no, I think we we'll, we saw you know at least with the benefit of hindsight that. Uh, they've eventually started to drop off. So that's one mm. thing. Uh, relegation, well, with Spezia, I was hoping they'd survive. But, uh, yeah, with Udinese, it's just, you know, I really wanted them to go down, but the Paul had a blinder. The Paul As you'll see, yeah. I also predicted Udinese, and I have predicted Udinese to get relegated every single time we've done these <laughs> um, predictions. And I will continue to do so, knowing they're not going to get relegated. But it's it's wishful thinking. I'm trying to wish it into existence, to be honest. Um, my top four, I went for in order. Inter, Atalanta, Juventus, Milan. I was very close to that being the truth, but it wasn't to be. Same as Vito, right four. Uh, not necessarily the right order, although I got Inter, which I'm pleased about. Bottom three in order, Udinese, Crotone, and Spezia. Um, had Spezia rock bottom. Same three as Vito, but I got I had Crotone finishing 19th and... Yeah, um, I thought Benevento would be the one of the three to stay up. Top score, I went for Romelu Lukaku. My player to watch, oh, wasn't a great one. My bias crept in here. Ebri Macaulay, of course, was on loan. Um, uh, Verona didn't exactly set the world alight. He wasn't terrible, but I just thought Atalanta Loni last season, Kluzewski did well on loan. Another Atalanta Loni, Pessina went to Verona, did well. I, I thought there was something there, but it wasn't to be... Um, Let's hope for better next season. Let's hope Kev P gets his predictions in on time next <laughs> season. Um, I, Kev, I did give you them on the first pod, though. Did you on the first pod? I did give you my prediction. Yeah, <laughs> and do you have I went, to hand? I went into Juve. Well, I went into Juve um, Atalanta and because I had Napoli replacing Lazio in the oh. qualification places. So, so you was, are. So you are. Start, uh, really. Revealed yourself as being the true Milan hater at FIF because me and Vito both knew they'd get top four, mate. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think their squad had enough in it, but I did. I just stuck with Inter because I went into the year before, right? And you know, because Conte had stuck around, so at least I got that right. Do you remember who you went for your bottom three? I think I did say Udinese, I can't remember who the <laughs> others were. I I probably just this. lumped. I probably just lumped in two of the uh, two of the promoted sides of Udinese. Did anybody get the three relegated teams right? Um, everyone thought Spezia were getting relegated, except yeah. for Alistair McKenzie. He got Benevento and Crotono, Crotone, uh, but he also said that Genoa were going to get relegated. Um, Andrea no no longer writes for us. Went for Parma and Spezia. He went for Udinese to finish bottom. It's a bold shout. Um, a lot of a lot of us went for Spezia to finish bottom and for Udinese to get relegated, and a few people went for Genoa as well. But wasn't to be. Um, anyway, guys, we've reached the end of a long, long season, long two seasons, we should say, because there was no separation. I can see you guys relaxing a little bit already. I I feel the same. We're actually getting a summer this year. Vito, how'd you feel? Are you looking forward to your few months peace? Oh, look, it'd be a relief. Um, you know, I'm, 
I'm still looking forward to the Euros, but at least it gives me a bit more time to, yeah, just, uh, you know, watch a few more movies and TV shows and watch some old games as well. So that's kind of my thing. There you go. There you go. Cav, are you going to miss me? Of course, yeah, but... I'll, I'll fill in time with drinking now. I can get drunk on Sunday evenings again. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm going to try and make the most of my Sunday evenings for the next couple of months as so. well. Um, to everyone listening, if you've listened this far, you really need to probably take a look at your life. Um, but on a serious note, thank you very much for sticking with us through this podcast, sticking with us throughout the season, sticking with us through what has been the 10th, I believe, season of the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I think it might be my fifth as host which is no it can't be third fourth yeah geez um because i came in halfway through one i don't want to think about that um i want to be out before i hit five anyway (laughs) thank you thank you thank you to all of the the readers the listeners and everything um we don't hate all of you just quite a lot of you um we will be back again next season for our 11th or possibly 12th straight season and yeah until then have a good summer enjoy the european championship and we will be back before you know it unfortunately say goodbye kev goodbye everybody see you soon you notice i didn't do a game this week just for you um say goodbye (laughs) vito goodbye everyone and it's goodbye from everybody bye-bye La mia vita, in fondo lo so, sarà una partita infinita. Un sogno che ho, è un coro che sale a sognare sul Sudano.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 